What is good? And welcome to the Roll Blob Podcast presented by the Broken Anchor with Andy and Cap. I'm Cap. He's Andy. Andy, what's up? I mean, I woke up this morning and I think I might need to call a doctor because my balls are feeling kind of (laughs) hot. I wonder why. It might have something to do with our guest today. We do have a guest that runs a hashtag burner. Um, burners have taken over the world. He runs a burner on the Twitter sphere. Um, not going to tell you who, but he, he likes a certain uh, a certain team that played in the mid major conference last year. Um, and that's all I'm going to tell you. Um, but we need some fans in the building tonight because it's going to get pretty wet and wild. Going to get some swamp nuts. <laughs> And you know how we like it wet and wild and a little swampy in H-Bet. Damn straight, my guy. But it's going to be a good show per usual. But I have to give you a precursor. Other than hot balls, it's pretty much just going to be the Crosstown Shootout drama episode. We did get our <laughs> little our own little Miller Lite version of the <laughs> UK U of L um, drama. Um, we did. Uh, both coaches we got, got their videos in. Yeah, we got videos from both coaches. It was essentially Cal versus Mac Light. Um, Brandon talked about a bunch of nonsense and some shitty offers, and then Steele just said, shut up, bitch. And, uh, <laughs> shut up, bitch. There's an agreement. <laughs> shut up, bitch. Um, <laughs> but, but it was pretty freaking awesome, man. And um, we got a really good show, man, between uh, politics as far as hot balls running for president the Crosstown Shootout, we'll probably do about five minutes of around the world of sports real quick before we do a shootout episode, but essentially for, like, get ready for a hot balls episode and shootout stuff because that's what you're going to get because that's what the world wants. we got to give people what they want, Andy. <laughs> and what they want is just our bullshit. <laughs> well, here's the thing. They don't want the podcast, but if they're going to tune in, we might as well give them what they want after they've gotten what they don't want, if that makes right. sense. Like they don't want to be here, so they're already like somebody they don't want to be. So let's at least give them what they want, you know, content-wise, even though it's going to fucking suck. <laughs> Without further ado, let's get to the part that fucking sucks. Welcome to the Blobcast. So we have a little bit of change of plans. Uh, we introduced a few things during the intro, um, but then we had the interview with Hot Balls, and it just became electric. The balls were popping. So this is going to be a strictly Hot Balls episode, and so you guys get to avoid our usual bullshit so you don't really have to deal with us and our shit. You just get to hear us jackass it around. With Mr. Hotballs, your president, and it's, it was just a great time, a phenomenal conversation. We have an AAC therapy session for all you UConn fans who had to deal with all that bullshit, and then a Big East preview. So, without further ado, we'll go ahead and get you to that electric conversation, because it is a wild ride. So, ladies and gentlemen, President Hotballs. 
He's got the fucking presidential background, and uh, he looks like an Iron Man mask, Loki. What's happening? Hey! Hey! Oh, I'm dead. Aren't you lucky? We are hashtag blessed. I was not expecting to laugh that much. Oh, that was so fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking died. That was legendary shit. I love myself. I thought this was gonna be funny, but I didn't expect us to crack up at just the sight of you. Oh man, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking that fucking died. Oh, that was a dinger and a half. Everybody's got something for somebody. <laughs> he had it up his sleeves, man. Oh. Oh, oh are we as douchey and fucking stupid as you expected us to be? Huh? Absolutely. And white? Yeah. Yeah. That's Sorry. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, you guys it's like it's like part of the requirement in the admissions application. Hundred <laughs> percent. Are you a pretentious douche? Yes or yes? Yeah, yeah. Pretentious douche or insufferable pretentious douche? Uh, yes. It's bad. Essentially, a Brad or a Chad. I mean, look at Andy's hair right now. I mean, don't get don't get douchier than that. Terrible. <laughs> There's a reason I typically wear a hat. I'll just take the mohawk, but on one third of my head. Got you, fam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fucking right. awesome. So, did he give you a little um, rundown of um, kind of our plan tonight? Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, we're thinking like a bit of a Big East preview. Um, of course, your presidential campaign. Yeah, <laughs> I got him. Got him my own event. I mean, I'm just like the uh, president, the vice president. I'm exactly. my own event. I don't, I don't this, need is, this is part of your I'm campaign. I'm going to go on tour. a Xavier podcast. <laughs> right. It's one of the few, you know, schools in this cesspool of a conference that probably actually vote. <laughs> I'm going to reach yeah. out to people. <laughs> you know, DePaul and Creighton aren't voting. That's for damn sure. No, they even can't know even read like, a ballot. <laughs> Not ballots? a chance. I don't even know they can read it out there, dude, in fucking Nebraska. But I was thinking, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to get – I would say most of it's just going to be, like, Big East shit talk. Um, we'll talk about your fucking swole-ass UConn boys and all the fucking Photoshop work you guys are doing over there. Um, if you have any just, like, college hoop storylines you're excited for other than fucking just going off about Book Night and fucking Whaley. Uh, I also want to hear about the fucking Whaley uh, wrench uh, photo because I don't know what the fuck that means, but it looks fucking hilarious. Yeah, um, no, it's, it's, uh, it's good stuff. That's the one weird thing, dude. It was, it was, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, in all, in all seriousness, like as, as much of a fucking ass clown as I am on, on social media, I, I was like gobsmacked when I, when I walked into Gamble for that Houston game and there yeah. was fucking wrenches everywhere. That's awesome. And I mean, like it, it was, it was fucking weird. And what I guess was even weirder is like, I'm just sitting here thinking like fucking, this is all my fault. And nobody has a goddamn clue. There was a kid sitting two rows behind me, snapping pictures and shooting it up on Twitter. And the back of my head is there the entire fucking time. And I'm like, this kid has no idea what's going on right now. None. That's wild, man. The entertainment value of the whole thing. Like, it's just such an absurd yeah. fucking thing that it even happened to begin with. But crazy shit happened Gamble. Huh? Did you guys kick out the fucking uh, barstool dudes? Yeah, that was the same night. Oh, that, that was that. <laughs> the same fucking night. It was storm chasers and wrenches in the student section. 
You guys are and, fucking uh, insane, dude. Yeah, it was weird. It was really fucking weird. Gonna am do? I gonna am I gonna make it out alive in my AAC sweatshirt? Huh? Am I gonna make it out alive when I wear my AAC sweatshirt in there? There's a there's a possibility you don't. <laughs> a lot of PTSD going on in New England right now. I get the over under from Vegas is twelve and a half minutes. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna you're gonna hear it. I mean, people are gonna have a lot. Everybody's gonna have a lot to say about it. There's a lot. There's a lot of shit people need to get off their chest, and yeah, and it's gonna be a lot of that. This is like a, this is like a de- this is like a detox season. I feel like it kind of is a detox season. I mean, like there's the sentimental side of it, right? But then there's like, oh my god, like when you asked me to do a preview, uh, I'm not joking. The other day, you're like, oh, might might do a Big East conference preview. I was like, oh fuck, I gotta read a conference preview again. It's real. I know. You know, like, you, you know when the last time like I really watched a, a conference preview or like like read one and went like yeah. intricately through the teams was fucking 2013 when we were on our probation season. And oh since we've been God. in the American Athletic Conference, like I don't even look at it. Like what, what am I going to look at? East Carolina? Like, what, do I, what do I need to fucking find out to be at East Carolina? I know they're going to blow. I think I got you know, two like, lanes. I think I got two lanes cemented in the nine spot this year, guys. Like, like, what does it even fucking matter below five? Like, who even is counting? Like, okay, who's going to win the conference and get seated sixth? Like, how disappointed are we going to be this year? Like, that's life in the American Athletic Conference. What a fucking cesspool. You guys honestly have been through some shit because honestly, so I'm just thinking from our perspective. So, we got a one seed three years ago. We were probably on the best four year run in Xavier history. Went to the Sweet 16. We got a two seed. We were in the top 10 the next year. Yes. Then we got an elite eight the next year, and then we were a number one seed the next year. So for us, great stretch for you guys. You know, you can call it whatever you want to call it. Um, but now, the last two years, we went to the NIT. Essentially, I mean, this season didn't happen. I don't think we made the tournament. You guys went from champions, champions three years later. Um, I would call you guys a legitimate blue blood back in the day. Um, and then six years ago. And then and and then wolf. You know, like big wolf, like. Yeah. I know how miserable the last few seasons have been for us. I can't imagine the last five, six year stretch for you guys. It's fucking been wild. I'll tell you. I mean, we can go over all that shit. I'm more than happy to do a whole therapy session. I just, I'm just here to, because this is the first time we finally linked up after all the bullshit on Twitter between, you know, <laughs> there's been a lot of uh, exchange. And this has been the first time we've actually had some voice to voice. So I'm here for just the, the session, man. Like, no, say whatever you <laughs> let's, let's do. We, no, we got a lot to I mean, and it's weird, too, because, I mean, I don't think people understand, and, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but, like, that program wasn't even a fucking program for three years. I mean, Kevin Ollie wasn't even showing up to the fucking office. Like, guys yeah. were putting on any weight. There was optional practices. Like the Jesus. shit that, I mean, we literally went from a team that was perpetually, consistently, and almost always top five, four out of yep. five years. We'd always have, 50 would always be a reloading year. We'd go down, yeah, end up in the NIT, get bounced in the first round of the NIT. And we'd bring yep. in like a top fucking six recruiting class. And then next year it was fucking right back to it. Uh-huh. And, um, and you go from that. And, and it's not even just the losing. It's the losing in that conference which is literally worse than being bad. Like <laughs> I'd so rather awesome. have gotten stuck in the fucking Mac than be in the American athletic conference. Like that place is legitimate, actual lifeless purgatory. Like 
You just wander around with a bunch of other fucking athletic programs that don't give a fuck about anything because their priority changes every three years because like Memphis will be good at basketball for three years. Uh And then because they're fucking idiots and they pay the fucking (laughs) players to come there constantly, they get put on probation or somebody instantly gets a a fucking job offer anywhere else on planet earth. That's better and leaves and then the football and so then they instantly they do that just in time for football to get good for two to three years so they focus all their fucking attention on that and and put all their eggs in that basket and then that fucking falls apart it's like it's just you're on it's an island of misfit toys it's not a conference it's a fucking refugee camp for schools nobody fucking wants that Mm. that's what the conference is it's not an athletic conference it's it's a place where you fucking just go to wander around aimlessly like coaches that got in trouble go there to fucking reboot their careers maybe or get caught in another scandal or do whatever it is the fuck that they do or it's the program du jour that's like spending a billion dollars because like right now it's houston because the fertitas went there and they sold ufc so they're gonna flush their fucking paycheck from that down the drain on basketball facilities and Kelvin Sampson's going to be there for <laughs> years, steal as much fucking money from them as he can get fucking toes deep in a recruiting scandal and hopscotch off to like Virginia tech or whatever fucking rotating door power five conference school there is and go right back to the, the same shit that he was doing before. And that's what that fucking conference is. Apple's won the debate guys. <laughs> I always win the debate. Well, can we have a wow. Dog, that was epic. We need a hot balls Londo debate. Oh my god! Oh. Londo's missing a chromosome. <laughs> like if there was ever a guy that's short a few chromosomes, that whole you know that whole ACC like whatever the fuck that thing is that they those guys it's the same mm. got homeless guy. Oh, without stealing Wi-Fi at a McDonald's somewhere. <laughs> that's like, that's like, Jimmy Jimmy Jaguar, like Mark fifty-one Londo. years old, and he's wearing a fucking Tasmanian Devil T-shirt. Remember those old Looney Tune shirts, right? That he picked out of a dumpster somewhere. <laughs> And he's just sitting there going, you guys not getting the best of me this time. <laughs> just the one random guy. And I, and I, lo- and I love that. Who is the other one that who tries that? Jimmy Jaguar. Yeah, that guy. That's the guy with the photo in his, in his, his avatar. Looks like he's... It was taken oh, on not, his, they, um, his... They both post the same memes. Nokia. They both make the same memes all the time. Oh, oh it's the same creepy meme with like the eyes cut out on the fucking Yukon. Oh Husky. yeah, you know it's some cracked out hobo with Aspergers, you know, <laughs> sitting at a McDonald's somewhere in West Virginia. It's definitely what these. I mean, I, I don't the way you describe him, I literally saw him in my head. Oh, yeah, my yeah, no, you, I can paint a picture for you. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I have a book called Dignity that Chris Arnade. I'll just probably open it to page twenty-three, and the guy's sitting there. Oh. Lack of teeth it's and everything. so good. He's got more burners than I do, bro. Oh, God. There's one thing I've noticed is Jimmy Jaguar and Londo are never active at the same time. Never that. No, you'll never see him in the same room, that's for sure. Well, that's the other thing that's been weird for me the last year. Like, there's a college basketball Twitter out there. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's fucking nuts. I didn't realize that's that wild. existed. <laughs> it's fucking wild. Like, whoa, do, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you guys, like, somebody did you guys have down. I'm like, what I feel like Rumpelstiltskin, you know, or, or not Rumpelstiltskin, it was a guy, Rip Van Winkle, a guy that falls asleep under the tree. 
I had a really bad dream and I woke up and somebody told me Creighton's got up to fucking Twitter. People tweet about <laughs> basketball. That's what like, I was thinking. I was like, did you guys interact with anybody in that no, conference? just each other and whatever those four accounts were. I mean, oh, and there's the one guy from Tulane, that poor asshole. Oh, the, yeah. oh, the fear of the wave? Oh. Because I heard I they're actually pretty I, good. I don't, I don't mind. Like, Tulane is like your helpless neighbor. You know yeah. what I mean? They're kind of like Ned Flanders. <laughs> I don't feel like how helpless they are. They're just there. Okay, don't go. Everything's good, you know. I'm, I'm, pict- I'm, I'm picturing uh, Kevin. You went 9-8 guys- this year. Isn't that great? <laughs> Who's the all time for us? Kevin, what's his nuts? The guy from King of Queens. He was in Hitch. And he's just, like, spi- he's, like, spilling mustard on his khaki pants. And, like, he bends over and his pants rip. Like, he's just, like, the helpless guy. He reminds like, me of virginal Kurt Angle from the WWE from, like, the early <laughs> 2000s. You know, the, I'm going to drink a big glass of milk and then have three Viagra. Like, <laughs> like you, you love him, but uh, not the sharpest tool in the shit. No, I just remember, there was, like, a, there, every time I would read a Tulane account, I think back to that, uh, WWE skit. This is probably before you guys were born because you're both about 13. But anyway, <laughs> we're 14. It was a skit with Kurt Angle and Stephanie McMahon, and she was like trying to explain to him. She was like, I'm trying to apologize to him. She's really pissed off. You know, and he's a big dork. And she's like, You know, my aunt flows in town. So I, 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 I'm just feeling it. I shouldn't have been like that. And he goes, Your aunt's here. Really? Oh, I want to meet her. No, she goes, You know, it's that time of the month. He goes, Oh, God, I got to pay my bills. Like, He's going through every nerdy, virginal, like, right. thing that you can imagine. And I'm like, that's what it's like interacting with a two-lane Twitter account. That's great. Lovable virgins. Oh. Riding his bicycle to work, man. Never Having a great time. A woman. <laughs> Love it. That's good fucking shit, man. Yeah, I just can't even imagine what that shit was like, honestly, on a year-in, year-out basis after, like, what you guys have been. Um, so I got to ask you a quick question. What's your favorite recent dinger of the last week or so? My, dinger you mean like awesome tweet this dinger i think you and i have we used to have a dinger thing you and i did we had a dinger no thing. no you had a dinger thing you you tweet and my shit all the time dinger i'm trying to figure out what that means <laughs> you don't remember when we used to hit dingers together all the fucking time no it's all the dingers balls you broke my heart okay i mean balls. look dude a lot of people try to cozy up to me these days so <laughs> balls you and i were so said i the united states of america it's a, it's a very busy job. There's a very we made each other out of my office. We made each other friendship bracelets. We did? Yes. Mem- remember we were Sosa and McGuire and I made the fucking toga photo? Or you just posted a bunch of shit in my timeline and I said, aha, like. <laughs> wow. It, I, I, uh, I, I'm betting on the ladder. Wow. Disrespect. Wow. It's real. So yeah, right, my, I was, my tweet uh, about Greg Marshall with the cat and the smoking guns. I wish you got more than 10 likes. <laughs> fucking <laughs> i like all your shit balls get the fuck out of here all right let's talk let's talk yukon and muscle bro what's up with all these fucking swole ass fucking yukon photos well this is what happens when you have an actual strength and conditioning coach which is which is have for you which is great because you stole them from our fucking boys oh i mean good yeah well fuck them who wants to do <laughs> yeah, that exactly one we'll million that percent. you know but no i mean in all honesty like if there was a consistent theme with Kevin Ollie teams, other than being shitty, um, it was like the one thing that I would consistently notice that was a problem. It was that they, he seemed to have this infatuation with like really athletic, but super skinny big men. Like it was like watching an army of pool noodles get paraded out on the court every year. 
And when you have a team that sort of like lives and dies by its guards, you know, its guards and our shooting sure. and everything on, on the outside, I mean, you just see this team get beat the fuck up by Houston and Cincinnati and any team that had like basically tough division dudes. one size college basketball players. Mm. And since he was tough. Ball, like they're, they're talented. Like you could see the athleticism there, but like there was no work that was put in to physically get them stronger and better. And when that happens and those guys aren't ripping down offensive boards or getting putbacks or pushing bodies out of the zone or changing games just by their fucking presence, their sheer presence of being there, um, you lose games. Like you have one or two shooters yeah. that go bad and the whole thing's done. And so to see them, um, actually have a strength and conditioning coach. I mean, we just talked about what it was like to come out of fucking purgatory. Like, here's another thing. I'm like, holy shit. I forgot what actually having a strength and conditioning coach actually was and what college basketball players look like again. You know, one of the craziest things, I want to say it was like two years ago and I was watching, maybe it was Providence and Georgetown. I was just flipping through the the channels in the afternoon. Who? And... I remember it was after. Who was he watching? It was like Providence in Georgetown. It was like two years ago. Who in Georgetown? Oh, uh, Dollar Store. So <laughs> I was like, what? I, like, I didn't intentionally watch it. Like it wasn't like a conscious <laughs> decision. But I remember going through and just like stopping for a second. And I just remember it was like three or four minutes left in the game. And I just saw the kid like dribble past the Big East logo. And the whole place, like just the level of intensity in the arena and like the size of the guys on the court. And I just sat there for a minute, just being like, huh. Like, that's the difference. And Georgetown sucks. I mean, look, most, I did say 90% of college basketball fans, like when you're not, you watch a conference in your team's games and you know, the, there's a, a group of diehards like us that, that will care about what's going on in the rest of the conference, right? But, like, most college basketball fans that watch their team, and when you're in the American, like, there's no incentive to give a shit about anybody else. So, like, you just get into this vacuum, and you just start staring, and I don't know what it was about that moment, but I instantly went on YouTube. I do this whenever <laughs> I need to suck my thumb and feel better. Um, and I looked up that Stanley Robinson dunk from the Texas game yeah, from, like, 2009, I think it was. Vicious play. God damn. And, oh, it's the, the nastiest. I was there a lot. It was disgusting. It was wow, the nuttiest dunk on planet Earth. And I'm just looking at the sheer physicality of those old UConn teams and the size. And then I went down a rabbit hole. And I'm just, like, longingly looking at the large, like, actual Division One athletes. Like, you guys had dudes. Dudes. Like Josh Boone. Uh, there was a team. Josh there was a team you Boone, had in oh eight. Like oh yeah, that team. The oh eight oh nine, whatever it was. I, yeah, I saw. I, I, yeah, I saw Escalators tweeting about that team and just seeing the names and the dudes. I was like, God damn. Yeah, and and physically just yes, exactly. And not only big, but big and mobile and athletic. Mm-hmm. Like you could do everything. And, like and, and it's just it was wild to see that, and then like and then just flip on a fucking UConn game in East Carolina. <laughs> there's like 34 people there and I'm watching a bunch of guys that look like they graduated high school yesterday and they've been in school three years. And it's not, look, I'm not, you know, dunking on the kids here. It's not their fault, no. but no, like no, there no. was no pilot at the wheel for two or three years in that program. And That's you just crazy. see it. And so, I mean, I think, and it's crazy that it went that fast. 
Like, right. I think there was this underlying... How did they get that? Like, did you know what was going on behind the scenes as far as, like, administration and, like, the hiring process? Like, did you guys feel good about that hire when it happened? Ollie? Yeah. Yes. I, okay. I, think, I, I think I would say yes. I think most people were. I mean, Kevin, as an assistant coach, was as good as a recruiter as they came. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a huge part of the program's history. A great guy by all accounts. Um, I've never had – I personally never had a bad interaction with the guy. I mean, he was a guy that um, I thought was ready. And there was also sort of this – there's also sort of this weird culture here at UConn where – you know, I think there was a, a an element of taking it for granted. Mm-hmm. And what happened here with the men's and the women's program is one of the most, like, just historically, one of the craziest college basketball stories ever. I mean, how the hell do you lock in to two generational coaches, arguably two of the top 10 guys to ever put a whistle around their necks, and they walk into the same wayward university basketball programs and really really dominant for 20 years and it happened quick and it happened pretty quickly i mean calhoun had a couple false starts but when the engine turned over in 1990 it was off to the races and gino you know immediately made an impact but like what sort of happened is i think psychologically and, and even and it goes all the way up to administration and fans everywhere I think fans just sort of figured like, oh, that's how it works. Like you just get a really good college basketball coach and now all of a sudden we're fucking untouchable and we've got top five teams on, on both sides every year sleepwalking. I mean, the women are outside the top five. It's like a catastrophe. And, you know, the men, again, were as successful as any team – had a success as, – as successful a 20-year run as any team's ever had in college basketball, ever. Yeah. And, I mean, five Final Fours, four national championships is, is mind-boggling. And I think – you know, the 1990s, college football comes up on the docket. And I think there was just sort of that underlying psychosis of like, oh, well, you know, we did it with basketball. Watch us do it with this too. And like, it's just going to work just like that. And I think everything was generally headed in the right direction. But I mean, the Big East was headed for that football iceberg before we even had the idea of moving, you know, yeah. our, our football program to Division One. And I think obviously we got it late. And then mistakes happen, but it's, you know, it's, it's sort of that led to this sort of invincibility. And I think a delayed reaction to everything that was happening around us, um, you know, in terms of conference realignment and also just kind of getting carried away with the vibe of the day, which is chase the money, go get the football money, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in fairness, I don't think the decision to go to the American athletic conference at the time, like I'm just talking the rationale of the decision, yeah, I don't think it was insane. Um, you know, the football program was in good standing. The basketball program was top billing. I mean, there was a window, I think, where let's say that momentum sustains after 2015 and we don't hire Paul Pasqualini and Buffy Upshaw <laughs> on the football side. There's, there's a really real chance. I mean, we're the next Power Five conference team. I mean, you, in terms yeah, of the names in there. Like that. I mean, and then I just the whole bottom fell out. And mm-hmm. I think it was just sort of a perfect storm of some terrible coaching hires and then Kevin Ollie just not fucking working at all. I was kind of surprised that you guys ended up in the American and obviously I wasn't following you guys close back then, but I remember just looking at the, at the conference at the time. And I remember seeing Louisville and UConn and I was like, UC makes sense. I mean, they're, 
they're like the most fringe team in the country that like just is right there up to like close enough but not good enough. I remember seeing UConn and Louisville and being like, okay, when are they going to move? You know what I'm saying? It just – I was wondering what the fuck you guys were even, even doing. when we ended up there, I think that the underlying team was, when are we going to move? Right, you exactly. Know, that, again, Louisville moved we, in a year or two, and then I was like, okay, when's UConn leaving, you know? Right, and I think what – well, Louisville bent over and took all the, the Tuesday night terrible time slot college football games, and, yeah. you know, that's, that's how they backed their way into, into the ACC. But the reality is, you know, I, I mean – the, the American Athletic Conference has no shot at succeeding. And, you know, one of the craziest things to watch early on was like watching Mike Oresco go out there and be like, oh, there's a lot of similarities with us in the Big East and we have big markets and we've got good football. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, I'm like, no, there's, there's no fucking comparison whatsoever. Like, and it, it just pulls out one thing at the end of the day. Like a conference isn't going to be successful that nobody wants to be in. Like you could talk yeah. about your markets and your brand names and all the stupid bullshit that you don't have until you're purple in the face. Yep. Right. But if you don't have one fundamental thing and that's that, you know, members want to actually be in this conference and grow it together, then you don't have anything. Yeah. And like I said, when I call it an Island of misfit toys, I mean it. And no, and, and, yeah. and the reason that the, that the conference hasn't grown and it hasn't gotten better and it won't is because Nobody has any consistent priorities. Everybody's priority is either A, get the fuck out of that conference, right? They're just writing or, the hot hand, like you or said. Or B, whatever their priorities in the conference are, change every two to three years. Like there's just, there's no consistency. And then you have Tulane and ECU and Wichita State, which are like, thank you, sweet baby Jesus for a paycheck. Like they'll be happy there for forever, you know? But like, yeah. but Memphis and, and Cincinnati, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a truck stop for hobos. You know what I mean? Like yep. it, what's crazy is if you look at the old conference USA from like the, the early 2000s, even go back to the Metro conference, you yeah. know, back in the late eighties, early nineties, like it's the same 16, six to 10 teams in a revolving door in different <laughs> groupings together. And they just haven't fucking understood that like, this is your life, man. This is who you like, are. This is who you are. And that's the funny part. Know. You know, occasionally you'll get a team that, like a UConn or a Louisville, that just like, or Florida State was in the fucking, <laughs> was in the Metro, weren't there? Something like that for years. Like, you'll you just have these teams that, like, inadvertently end up in there and are like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Long term. Like, like life where you're, like, un you're unemployed for, like, six months and you're like, what the fuck is my life? You got the beard growing yeah. out. And you're, like, <laughs> you're, you're looking all shitty. You're like, oh, shit. I got to get my shit together. Just and went then, through and the then, Hurley. <laughs> right. jobs. And then get you wake up, you're like, okay, all right. You, you shave up, you put, you throw the suit on, and then you're, you're good to go again. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, that that's what that conference is. But other than that, I mean, it's just, a goddamn disaster and being in it sucks and going you know that was the other crazy thing i think you know that well the, the administration like I, I get that the paycheck is helpful to the institution right mm -hmm. and i get that like having kids be able to sit in space age seats in science class is a really nice thing to fucking have like the kids still have eight gazillion dollars of student loan debt at the end of the day like there is this infatuation at an administrative level and even with college fans that kind of creeps the fuck out of me. And that's this like, everything is about every fucking penny everywhere. And yeah. it just dictates all of the decision-making and you know, it, it, 
it's one of those things where when you look at the American Athletic Conference, like at the time, it's the perfect example of a kind of conference where like your bottom line shouldn't be driving absolutely every single solitary fucking thing. You're a state-run institution. Like you're not running out of money, right? Like you're not running out of money if you're going to the Big East. If you need other half million dollars or something here and there, <laughs> the state is going to fucking give it to you. Like they, yeah. they, were, they were talking about a couple hundred million dollars. They were talking about like a million dollar, a couple million dollar budget deficit, and like Jesus. A flood, and it's like Jesus Christ, dude. There's like oh. hundreds of millions and stuff. So like they're gonna figure it out, right? On the I can't budget. even imagine. But when you walk into, but like I don't know how you can feel good about a decision when you go from something like the the old Big East and and what those atmospheres were like. And then you go in and you see Tulsa on a Wednesday night and you're like, man, we made the right call. At least we've got $500,000 more this year. Thank God for that. Like nobody feels fucking good about that. I saw an ECU you know? game on TV one time and there was legitimately less than a thousand people there. I think I counted about 64. Well, I mean, like, and that's, it's bad. But there's like no cultural ties to any of this. And, and I, think no. it's an, I think it's a more than it's, it's a more than money decision going back to the, to the Big East. Like, would it make sense? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's a whole group of UConn fans that want, oh, we got to hold out for the Power Five invite. Like, the guys, like, who the fuck cares? Like, even if we went to the ACC, like, or we were in a Big 12, like that was a whole thing a couple of years ago. It'd still be, like, culturally, that's not us. Yeah, isn't it about just being true to yourself, kind of, and, like, knowing who you are? It really is. It's knowing who you are and it's having, like, a cultural identity. For all the work that we do around, you know, cultural identity academically and, and, and in the corporate community nowadays, like, the lack of, like, valuing that, I think, at an administrative level when it comes to college sports is crazy. <laughs> and, like, I, I just think that this is more than just a financial – I mean, it obviously makes a lot of financial sense, but – culturally it's who we are and for 30 years this is a part of who people are in connecticut and what they look forward to in the fall and mm -hmm. you know i mean it's it's that cheesy and this is the only time i'm going to get sentimental about this but it's it's like it's like that any given sunday speech you know mm -hmm. you guys are young guys but the older you get the more things get taken from you you know, and it's whether it's things that, you know, stores that you used to go to as a kid or how your downtown looks. And it's things like you don't really think are going to bother you that much. And then you drive down Main Street after having not been home in 15 years. You're like, where the fuck's the pizza place that I used to go to? Yeah. Or even big chains that you used to appreciate are fucking, they just dry up and disappear and vanish. You a know? radio show. And, and it, you're, you're never really the same, you know, and the first big loss I ever experienced as a sports fan was the Whalers leaving Hartford. And that was the worst fucking thing ever. That, that the last day they were there was the worst goddamn day of my life um, was that last Whalers game. The who? And then, but then it's like, then it's like not having Big East basketball in Connecticut is just, it's not even something that I can, like I could comprehend. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, how is this not a priority? Because you don't think of anything when you think of Connecticut at all. You think of basketball. Like, this is what we are. And it's Big East basketball. And it's looking forward to Villanova and Georgetown and Syracuse yeah. and those rivalries that we had. Um, that's what got you out of bed in, in the winter and got you excited yep. and got you looking forward to, to – to, 
whatever was going on. And I just think you go from that and those atmospheres were crazy. I mean, you know, I talk with, with, with kids all the time, you know, like when I talk about money and, and these new facilities and all this nice shit and stuff and things and uh, that's going through college athletics now that all this money subsidizing, you know, I'm like, none of you fucking clowns are going to remember the locker room at fucking Creighton. Like, you're not going to remember the fucking brand new neon lighting and the nutrition center that was on the fucking Twitter video. Like, yes, that attracts recruits. I understand its importance. But for like Joe Blow student, like what you remember about things in Big East basketball, you talk to UConn fans, you talk to Big East fans from that era, you know, it was having all these teams right on top of each other. You could travel. Like I remember going to the oh, to the Carrier Dome and the fucking atmospheres there. As much as I hate to admit it, and the Dunkin' Donut Center. I mean, they're like your white trash cousins, and and the intensity <laughs> in Madison Square Garden, and all of these other places. But the people that you meet, like I have friends, yeah, exactly, home, have season tickets that you you don't talk to for decades at a time. And the day they found out UConn was back in the Big East, I got a text from them. I hadn't talked to them in ten years. Yeah, you know, they're like, "You're coming down, right?" Because that's what you used to do. You That's know, cool. everybody had, everybody's got their five season tickets and you, you, you know, you, you invite your no talent ass clown friend from whatever university to come and sit with you and shit on them for 40 minutes. Whatever. <laughs> but like, but, but that's it's not what the same. you remember, like it's, you, it's, it's that thing that you build there and yep. that you go from that to playing East fucking Carolina <laughs> on a Saturday or fucking going head to head with fucking Patriots football on a Sunday playing some dork ass team from God knows where Oklahoma. <laughs> like the fan bases don't try. I mean, I saw Wichita state fans and I almost fell down this past year. I saw like six of them at the, at the XL center. And I almost fell down. I'm like, wow, these are actually real people. Like <laughs> they exist. there's just, there's nothing to it. And it sucks the energy and takes what made that whole experience great out of it. And so now to have this back, like getting all the way back to what you were saying is to like, this is a detox year. You bet your ass it's a detox year. Like <laughs> yep. I'm still trying to get my feet under me and figure out how I'm still stunned that we're back. And, but I am relieved. And um, I think it's the right time to do it. I think team, you know, from a physical developmental standpoint is ready for that challenge. Yep. You know, I think it's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of our old dancing partners are back. You know, obviously Georgetown and Villanova are two of our, you know, I'd say that the Holy Trinity of UConn rivalries was Georgetown, Syracuse and Villanova. Yep. Um, and you can't say Providence because Providence is like your white trash cousin. It's yeah. like, oh, so at your fucking party. And then yeah. goes out and drives your car. Into, like, it's like Syracuse. It's like the Big East tournament every year is like, Villanova, Syracuse, and UConn would like perpetually show up as the favorite, and like Providence would show up all shit face and take one of our cars <laughs> and drive it into a fucking tree, right? And so you get knocked out by them for no fucking other reason, and then they get blown out of the semifinals. But like that's the only thing that Providence brings to the table, They're, like your meth head cousin. But like you know, it's it's mostly old dancing partners, and then I think you know it's got it's got some new ads that'll be fun. But I'm just I'm just looking forward to caring about a league and a conference yep. and all of it again and being in it where, you know, there's that old sort of they're an asshole, but there are asshole kind of 
mentality, you know, like, yep. I think the one thing that I that I absolutely love, and I still carry the chip around with me, <laughs> even when we weren't in the conference, but the Big East became a thing because Southern and Midwestern and West Coast college programs fucking suck. And they tried to ice everybody out. And they're always trying to fuck everybody. They're always trying to take more money. They're always trying to fucking stir the pot. And they've always, always loaded up with their new 10-cent millionaire, Bubba Billy Bob, that lives in a McMahon <laughs> suburb of Charlotte. And they put on every goddamn stupid board they can to fuck with the rules and do all the stupid-ass <laughs> nonsense that they do, right? And what I loved about being in the Big East was it was just a, a gigantic anthrax pill right up their ass yep. for 20 years, you know? And, you know, TV networks wanted to pay to watch us fucking play. You know, and the Northeast didn't become just a poaching ground for Southern schools to stack their rosters with. And the basketball up here was more intense. It was more in your face. There was more energy to it. We had media platforms and they fucking hated it. And the fact that they hate it is hated it <laughs> gets me hot and bothered, man. I can't, I can't tell you there's parts of my college basketball fandom were watching Southern schools, these conquered people just fucking slither up and die every year in a final four when they get knocked out is the best feeling on planet earth. And, and so I always love that sort of us versus them mentality. And I love the fact that, and I'm appreciative of the fact, and this is probably the only diplomatic bone I have in my body, but, <laughs> but I'm appreciative of the fact that this thing was kept going, you know, yeah. back in it. And, and it's got a chance to be a thing again. And, you know, life's weird. You take a lot of twists and turns, but I'm, I'm glad to see that UConn's back where they should be. We are too, man. We're happy for you. UConn is home is, like, it just feels right. The Big East feels complete because for the longest time, like, Villanova, Georgetown, UConn, they are Big East basketball. It's very different right now than the old Big East, but it can get, like, with the – Blue Bloods that um, called it home seven, seven, eight years ago with a few of those back, a few of those being good again. This conference can be great. It be a, a different kind of great, but it can be one of the best conferences college basketball has seen. I honestly don't think it's going to be that different. I mean, you know, UConn, I mean, you know, you guys see back in the day, it was six years ago, we won the fucking national title. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like, it, I this guess. is like, it's, it's ancient history. Um, but like, you know, our recruiting is going to be excellent. We've got a good coach. I, I mean, I've got no doubt that we're going to get back to a point where we're going to be extremely competitive program every single year. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and, and Villanova is clearly already there and Jay Wright's kind of getting past that phase where it's like, do I make the jump to the NBA and try it or not? We're he's kind staying. of the birth canal on that shit, you know, I think he's, and, and he's yeah. going to stay there and he just got it made in the shade. Yeah, I mean, it used to, it's again not everything's fucking about money, man. And like, you see, gotta, you see, even the best college coaches get eaten by eating in the NBA. Like Billy Donovan and, and Stevens aren't having the best time in the world either. You know, it's I've been a million of them. Fucking John Calipari, Rick Pitino, like how many? Yeah. I mean, going over on, and over and over. I know. Like, it's not the same thing, and it's not the same thing. And vice vice versa. I mean, how many NBA coaches? Uh, hello, Kevin Hall. Okay. 
you know, having <laughs> look to at you Ewing. come back yeah. to college and not know how to fucking deal with it. And Look at Ewing. I mean, even the most layup coaches you would think. I mean, look at Penny. I mean, bringing in the number one recruiting class in the country and can he make a tournament. Penny I know. Stinks. he's. Yeah, we don't need to hash that out. He's not a good coach. We don't need to hash that out, but people will see a big name come to a, a school they went to, like Ewing, and you're like, oh, Georgetown's going to be the best team in the Big East in two years. He's been there for almost two or three years now, and they're, 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 projected, they're projected to be worse than the Big East this year. Um, so, yeah, you, you're exactly right. They might actually be the worst team. I think it definitely seems and, like it. I, like, I, I know – I feel like people are picking DePaul last in the conference just because out of habit, and I, I think, think DePaul that, stinks too. too. Like, don't even get me started. That's <laughs> – right. that's, a broken rudder, but like at least they have like three guys, and I'm like, okay, yeah, they'll start. Yeah, <laughs> there's a start of, <laughs> of three something starters. resembling a basketball team. Like Georgetown has Wahab and that one transfer kid, and like Jamorco Pickett, and that's pretty and, much it. But then what the fuck? Like just I a know. bunch of like risky. It's like, weird. Raw, and, and and it keeps happening. Like. Over and, and over. And, 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 well, I'll tell you, just after watching the Ollie thing, I mean, we never used to have transfers at the rate that we did with Ollie. And it just gets to a point, man, where, like, there's smoke, there's fire. And when kids don't want to be in a program, there's a reason. You know, when you start to see it over <laughs> Greg and over, Marshall. how many fucking dead-ass reboots is this guy going to get before everybody fucking gets it? Yeah, well, Greg Marshall punches his fucking players in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if seven dudes leave, I mean, something's going on. There's something going on. It was nine, wasn't it? Was that nine or some sh- crazy so, shit? Something ridiculous. Something insane. But you're, you're right, too, though, because I remember when we came to the Big East. So we came into the Big East, like you said, with, you know, the misfit schools in, in the AAC, and we're just happy to be here. You know, like, this is what we had wanted our entire lives. You talked about it. I mean, I think the Big East had easily the most recognizable culture in, in college basketball. And growing up as a kid, I was 12 years old in 2004 when I was falling in love with the sport. And you guys had the, the tongue out logo. And I was just like, those dudes got it going on. I remember looking at the old Big East and what you guys had going, the culture. And I was like, it would be awesome to be a part of that someday. I don't think I ever see it happening for us, but it would be incredible. And um, once it finally did and we weren't in the A-10 anymore, you know, we had always been searching for, you know, that validation of being with the big boys, you know. Um, our program was pretty much born in, like, 85. We were super late to the party. Um, but we get here, and I'm like, God damn, this Georgetown team has been a little off in the old Big East, but they're going to fucking dominate in this new Big East. And I thought it was going to be Georgetown and then Nova and then everybody else. And it's been incredible what Georgetown has not been, in my opinion. Yeah, they're a mess. I mean, there's just there's there's no getting around it. It's gonna be a while. Um, yeah. Part of me is of the idea that you give Ewing an ample shot to do it, but like this is the what is the second third reboot we're at? That's hard. Reboot. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had JT three forever, and is, is Andy is is Ewing the first guy after JT three? Um, he he immediately. Um, I think he is. JT3. But JT three was bad there for quite a while, and and, and it's, it's Ewing. So that's the thing that's tough is when it's your own guy, it's hard to let him go if it's if he's not the, working here's, out. Here's the thing that's that's bad timing to say, you know, and it's not popular in college athletics, especially when you get to programs of like the history of a UConn or a Georgetown. I I sometimes think that when you have a legendary coach go, it's time to rip the guts out. Yeah, and get a, a, Need a, a new brand, a new guy. Because nobody's going, I mean, the, the old saying is the sequel is never as good as the original. And it is very, 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 very hard to have cultural continuity in coaching transitions. Mm-hmm. Because you can't, you can't teach what John Thompson had. He's the guy that fucking teaches it. Like, John Thompson you, couldn't teach that, what he uh, had. John Thompson, original John Thompson, John Thompson Jr. had natural gifts. I mean, he was just no, no, different. different. He, 
he couldn't pass that down to those, a kid. Those teams were intimidating. And oh they had an edge to them that were just different. Oof. I mean, they were the rough kids on the block. Like, they were the kids you didn't want to fucking run into at the party when they'd had too much to drink. They were rough. They were big. They were physical. You know, Syracuse had a very distinctive brand of basketball. It was very kind of clean, traditional. We were run and gun, you know, high up tempo. Mm -hmm. Uh, Villanova was always very athletic and rangy. Mm -hmm. Georgetown was like punching your fucking teeth. Scary. Yeah. And they would beat teams by beating them. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that national championship where they just told Ewing to block everything. I don't care if it's a, if it's a goaltend block it. I mean, just, and they just wanted to intimidate the fuck out of you and not only beat you, but fucking embarrass you. Yeah. And you know, the best college programs are extensions of personalities of the people that beat them. And John Thompson's a terrifying human to me. And I met him. He's the nicest guy on planet earth, but But I I met met a lot of, I've met a lot of coaches and managers and they all have like unique auras about them. Um, but John Thompson's is the very different from anything. I mean, he was being as nice as a human being to be to another person. And I was absolutely terrified and <laughs> him the entire time. I'm not a guy that, that is shy in case you haven't. Noticed. Yeah. I think we figured that's, that out. That sweater thing is the fucking coolest fucking thing I've ever fucking heard. The what? Oh, the sweater story. Yeah. Oh, the sweater story in St. Louis, St. John's? Oh, yeah, that's classic. <laughs> he is a classic troll job. He didn't give a fuck. Just congrats on the sex. Yeah. <laughs> God. He was, yeah, he was, he was a monster, man. And, but, I, I mean, I think, I think those are the best things. And I think Georgetown is a classic example of a program that just hasn't moved past John Thompson. I mean, the guy had a fucking yeah. office on campus. <laughs> he just hangs out on campus all day like how do you get past it like what do you do like I couldn't coach with John on campus like I'd be like dude you gotta go man like I love you I respect you but like yeah I feel like I have to run something by you even though I we don't. need to move on I know it, it's you know, like Bobby Knight it's like you need to move on man you can't run a program and the thing that worries me is it's like they're they're still Georgetown and I think everyone still sees them in a different light than than you would see a regular team being bad but it's like when does that statute of limitations end like how long can you be bad before it's unsavable how long can you be bad until you're unlv you know what i mean where it just your history doesn't matter anymore you know yeah well unlv was a little different situation too but like the only team that's even in college basketball i can even think of i'm just trying to think off the top of my head here but that's like really maintain some cultural continuity going back to dean smith is maybe north carolina but yeah. like Lloyd Williams was a super coach before he was even there. I mean, Kansas was in the final four every other goddamn year. It wasn't like <laughs> yeah, he was dominant there. Like yeah, saying that they and they had a down period in mean, the early two thousands. You know, yeah, they made a final four, but like that team wasn't good. <laughs> there's and, almost and no like, one. There's almost no one immune to it, and that's one thing that's interesting about these schools that have one dominant coach. And this is one thing about us at X. We haven't had the same coach for longer than a decade. Um, and it's kind of a blessing in a way because every time we have a coaching change, it's like, okay, we're used to doing this, you know, like we're used to having to have a new coach and we don't have to recreate our identity. You know, like we we're we're not a coach's program. We're, you know, uh, we're a program. You know what I mean? We're not driven by coaches. We kind of make, we kind of make coaches essentially, um, which isn't necessarily a brag or, you know, whatever. It just is what it is. But some of these coaches, like, I wonder what Michigan state's going to be after Izzo. I wonder what Duke's going to be after coach K, you know, all the, yeah, I, <laughs> fuck off. Do you know what I mean? So it's interesting. And you guys, I think, are going to be fine because you got the guy now. But it's like, you can't go that long. You can't go a decade. You know what I mean? 
No. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you can't, you, you've, you've got to, you got to stop the bleeding when you can. And sure. I mean, the Ollie thing was just out of control and, and it really, so bad. I, know, I know people focus on like the record and everything, but the record is a result of the lack of preparation, organization, and just general program building. Like, like I feel like I could have had the program key. in a lot of ways, like, like an NBA vet. You got to understand like Kevin Ollie is one of the most well-traveled NBA players ever. Right. And he was always that guy in the team that you, know, you see it in the major leagues all the time. You know, you just have got certain guys, you know, um, oh, who was the catcher for the Chicago Cubs and Boston Red Sox, David Ross, you know, who are guys <laughs> that like rookies, rookies yeah. love to hang out with, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he goes and gets them a Suko and like teaches them that, like, no, you don't have to fucking eat ramen off the back of a notebook. Like, <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is how you act. You That's funny. Okay, this is how you act when you go to the bar. Like, Okay, yeah, no, you don't grab the stripper, like, like <laughs> all the things that you have to do to like, to like teach these kids how to live as professionals. And I feel like in a lot of ways, when you talk to a lot of people behind the scenes, like there was a lot of underlying sense that like, Kevin was too much of a teammate and a peer more than he was a father, a teacher and authority figure, you know, and I think that's yeah. why there, there is, there's that cross generational struggle i mean you know i mean i cross generation that 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 struggle of switching levels right from going to sure. college to the nba and the nba to college because you know um th there's a lot more development i mean then you look at it just how he ran the offense i mean he'd run this nba style iso offense all the time and yeah that's fine but like you have to have people that have like actual basketball iq and develop skill to run those nba sets Yep. College kids are fucking morons everywhere, <laughs> every program. They're all idiots when they come in when they're young. Like, you have to teach them everything. And no offense to you guys, this, this is a younger thing, but I, I talk to coaches all the time about it, you know. And, um, oh, we're idiots. You're not going to insult I've been, I've been, but when I've been in baseball, like, I've, been in, I've been in baseball for a long time, obviously, and, and a lot of other sports. And, but you talk to coaches today, and I think the one thing that sort of consistently comes up, and it's not a kids these days kind of thing, you know. Um, it's just how kids are different now and how kids are different now is like, you guys grew up, you're very educated and your parents aren't, it's not so much helicopter parents. Cause I think that's unfair. I think it's unfair to call you guys soft, but you were over managed. Like the schedule yeah. was aligned. Like you'd fucking get up and you go to school and then you had your after school shit or your practice or this or that. And like, so when you get to college sports, like there's got to be like a certain level of initiative and, yeah. and, you know, 10, 20 years ago, like you don't have to worry about like half the shit you worry about with freshmen. Now you would have never even thought to think of <laughs> like 20 years ago, like the kids just fucking did it. And it's because they're outside. Like their parents would be like, here's a plastic bag, like fucking go play with it. And, <laughs> and, and like, and like you go out and figure it out and like getting beat up like the bully. Like it, it made you think of like, you had to take initiative and, and think on your own. And it's not that kids aren't capable of it. They absolutely are. They just have to be. Right. And so at this level now with young players, like you've got to be, you've got to be patient. Like you, when you get young base runners, you've got to like literally tell them not to run in an obvious situation or you know what they're going to fucking do. They're going to run. run. Like you have to tell them to run. You have to tell them not to run. You know, like you have to like direct every fucking thing. And again, it's look, kids back in, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, when I was growing up, we're all drunk and getting each other pregnant and a fucking disaster, right? You guys are mostly an improvement. 
But like, but like positives and negatives, yeah. You, that's what was fucking dysfunctional about us. Like our parents were worried that we were gonna go out and get our girlfriend pregnant on prom night, you know? Like now today, like we're yelling at you guys because you don't have to fucking put up your pants on exactly the way that you had to do it. You know, like that's that's a life improvement, not not a step back. But like I just think that, you know, in general, um, that's gets to the crux of why somebody like Ollie failed you know it was just well you know i was in the nba got lots of nba connections i was jim calhoun's thing i'm a good recruiter i can sell you on these things we've got good facilities but then when you get the kids from the in the door like just the sheer number of guys that plateaued that should never have plateaued here is shocking like i yep. think of guys like rodney purvis and what that would have yep. been with dan hurley like i think of kids like christian vital with like three or four years of, of, of Dan Hurley. Like I think of so many guys like that just had no direction and yep. no development plan and were mostly the same guys. And that's why for four years you saw the same goddamn game every game because that's what they do. Like it was, let's run this NBA ISO set and let's get down. We have, we have no intensity coming out the fucking door. We'd be down by 15 and two shakes of his titty. And then we'd spend, you know, <laughs> Three minutes, butts around in a fucking NBA set that nobody on the court knows how to run. There's always, there's never, it wasn't a UConn game until somebody fucked up a motion offense. And then, and then everybody would <laughs> say, terrible. fuck this shit and run for five minutes, close the gap to four, and then get blown back off the floor again in the second half and then give up. That was every UConn game from fucking tip off to end on a loop. And it just comes from a lack of preparation, physical development. And kids, you know, when it went well, the kids just threw everything out and just relied on talent. But yep. talent's not good enough, you know? Nope. And so that, there's just a lot of what was going on there. And, and I think, you know, now that you see these kids now, just the difference, you know, I, I think part of being a new coach like, Dan, like Danny is, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, yeah, we're fucking putting weightlifting videos up every five minutes. That's because people need to know that there's an actual program being run again yeah that's the message like the message isn't like wow we're strong you better look out it's, we're just busting your balls on that i too. swear to god we're fucking doing our job like <laughs> <laughs> i swear to god yeah. he's not gonna look the same in year four as he did in year one like, yeah, i get it guys don't worry college basketball is working again like this is how it happened <laughs> it's crazy know. too because i mean i wasn't like watching uconn closely but i remember like seeing recruiting and i remember like 2016 2017 looking at recruiting classes in the aac and be like oh okay uconn's gonna run this shit because no one's even close to your level from a recruiting perspective. And then I'd see the standings the next year. I'm like, God, they got seventh in the AC. Like, look at the kids they have. You know what I mean? I remember looking – because I hate – well, obviously UC. You know, I'm like, God, UConn should be kicking UC's ass with the kids they're bringing in. But obviously they developed their kids. And, I mean, they're, they're big kids. They're, they're big dudes that as a freshman were fucking horrible. But then by the time they're a junior, senior, they're tough as nails. They've been living in the weight room, and they're tough as fuck. you got to give them that. They were tough. UC teams yeah. rebound. They do the little things, you know? God, and, if, and if you're not going to – if you're not going to show up and rebound, you're going to lose to UC. As bad as they are at everything else, you're going to lose if you don't show up and you don't bring your lunch. That was, a team, that was a team regularly that would body. Absolutely. Absolute body us. The same thing. And, and literally body us. I mean, it was just bang us around, off-balance shots, yep. unable to get rebounds. It's ugly. Trips down the floor on the boards. Yeah. Just the whole nine yards. And so, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. Like, when you go back to what made Calhoun successful all those years – 
yes, we had Duke. Yes, we had fucking Ray Allen and Rich Hamilton and guys that are clearly, yeah. you know, d- different, just different, right? I remember the first time but, I saw Rudy Gay. had guys that, you know, he was always good at finding guys right around that, like, 80 to 150 range that were ludicrously undervalued while they were being recruited, that were slam dunk four-year project kids that he could go out and he knew he could get his hands on. You gotta win with talent, you gotta have top flight talent, right? Sure. You also have to protect your floor and there's something to be said for just having rock solid college basketball uh, players on your roster. And yeah. the reality is this, like, you know, the media runs off the cliff with everything these days, but like the, the real deal, the reality of it is like Kansas can do one and done. Duke can do it. Uh, North Carolina can do it. Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky is in there, you know, and the odd, you know, uh, Oklahoma state once in a while, yeah, they got the number one kid in the country. Sure. That just, yeah. Washington. You know, brings yeah. a bag out or just goes nuts one year. Right. Yeah. Um, but the reality is there's fucking 340 some odd other college basketball programs that that's just not real life. Like no. you're not going to get the top 10 guys in your fucking recruiting class every year. So you need to be able to find a balance of guys that are high end two year talents, maybe one, even one and done. And then you've got to go and you have to get those guys that you're like, this is a projection kid. Yep. That's undervalued and we're going to have them for four years. And if you don't have those guys, I mean, we, you know, even even still today, you six, seven, eight out of ten times, you see those teams beat those one and done teams. Yeah. And, when was uh, the last time a one and done team won a championship? Duke. Like a Duke, Duke in twenty fifteen. And I mean, it, it's just hard to win a championship because there are legit four of those teams. It's Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina. It's those four. Michigan State once in a while, but it's those four in my opinion. Michigan State recruits a lot more like UConn used to. Yes. Exactly. Like um, you can get a guy in the top 20 pretty easy. But, yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I think you can load up and you have a chance to make an elite run, you know, two out of every five years, maybe one out of four, depending on your program. Because that was like us. We had the Trayvon Blue at J.P. McCura class. They were awesome as, as sophomores, and we had a huge group of seniors. Took a dip the next year, and then when they were seniors, you know, we got a one seed. You know, that was our shot, and then you have to reload. And then it's because that's like what Xavier did. We made an elite eight every four years for like, uh, for like sixteen seasons. You know, we made it in 08, 04, 08. In twelve, we should have made it, but we had a bunch of suspensions. That was our year, and we missed our window. Made it in sixteen, and then you know, and now we're here. You know what I mean? 20. So, yeah, exactly. So, but it's what builds uh, like, in your program too, though, from a culture yep. standpoint. Like you 100%. need to have that. Now, I don't envy what Calipari and those guys do because it's actually extremely difficult to have to like basically get in a new batch of assholes every week mm-hmm. and, and try to figure out like what makes them tick. And that's why sometimes it's a fucking goddamn disaster until it's not. And then all of a sudden they're the fucking best team in the country. I mean, that's what happened with them in 14, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. There's other times where they look great and then they fall apart or they fucking, yep. but freshmen do what freshmen do, even when they're super talented and there's just going to be days where they're going to make you say, wow. And then there's going to be days where they make you say, wow. And that's just <laughs> what you have to sort of, you just, you got to sort of deal with. And the reality is, is that in college basketball, there's like 30 freshmen in a given year that can go out and, and absolutely be impact presences. There's like 10 kids that can go out and be a superstar or, or a star right off the bat, but there's like another 20 that can start and be an impact guy. And then there's, probably another 20 that can start and contribute, but the rest of them have no clue what they're doing. Like, that's just, it's just reality. Like, like people get so overboard and that's a frustration I have here, you know, 
being a UConn fan, you know, is they, they get people go so overboard seeing big recruiting classes initially. And I'm like, it takes a year to figure out what the fuck you've got before you actually know what you have. Yep. And you're going to get guys that come in and contribute a lot. And you're going to get guys that you just can never figure out. And yeah, you want to get talent in the door, but freshmen are freshmen are freshmen at the end of the day. And, um, you know, I, recruiting's important, but, you know, it's um, just because you've got the big recruiting classes and instantly, you know, instantaneously uh, translate to success. You're exactly like right. I like being like the um, having like a top twenty, top thirty class. I'm very safe with that. That means we got some talented guys, but they're going to be guys that are going to be. We're going to have some projects that we're going to have to develop them. And I like having three, four year guys because you know what you're going to have. I don't envy Calipari system at all because I would. I mean, not, not knowing. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest with you. I would love to be Duke. <laughs> I can't lie to you. But, what, but what we, Duke have, has we have to know is, our we have to know our niche, though. You know what I mean? And we can make I it happen. What we got. I don't know if I would. If, if I, would I was any coach, I'll be honest with you because I fucking hate that. You know, like I just, it, first of all, recruiting sucks. Just talk to any recruiter. It's, it's so fucking awful. Awesome. Yeah. the worst fucking thing on planet earth. And <laughs> <laughs> nobody likes that. <laughs> you like say I love recruiting, get the fuck out of here. Shut up. You don't. Um, it's, it's an insufferable, thankless, difficult job. And I wouldn't want to have to do it, but also so sort of take, would take what I would enjoy about it. They also get paid a pretty decent amount of money. Well, and it's, you know, it's the, yes, you do, but it's, it's also one of those things where it's like, you appreciate the relationships being able to develop kids and have a cultural identity because the clearer that becomes through that development, it becomes easier to recruit because you just know what you're looking for, you know, um, you know, long, long, yeah. I mean, it's, you just got to get to a point where you have an idea of exactly the kind of kid that's going to thrive. It's the old saying, you know, it's not, it's not the best kid. It's the right kid. And and getting the kid that's going to be able to come in and has the talent to hang, but you know, more importantly, it's going to be a cultural fit for what you hear that all the time. It's like, is this a Xavier guy? Is this a Yukon guy? You know, like you, you literally hear that terminology. Yeah, no. And there's, and there's any dozens of guys that are out there that, you know, you just take a safe pass on it. But yeah, no, it's, um, It'll be interesting. I mean, I love our recruiting class this year. Next year's recruiting class. Andre year. Jackson's a bad dude, man. We all know that. <sighs> yeah. Uh, I, I think He's the guy that's in this recruiting class, I think the guy that's going to be like a top 15 guy I was going to talk about is Sunogo. Yeah. Uh, I've seen Sunogo play three times. So I live right outside of Springfield, Massachusetts, in the suburbs. So I go to the Hoop Hall Classic all the time. I get to see the Hoop Hall Showcase AIC. That's cool. Things. And, um, so I've seen a lot of him and he was a guy I was chirping about UConn getting on two years ago. Um, he physically, he's apparently lost 26 pounds and he still looks like the biggest dude on the team. Um, and I've seen him play and he's got an incredible first step. He finishes at the rim of both hands and on the boards. I mean, he's the thing we've been missing for, seven, eight years now, even before that national title team in 20, 2014, because that was not a physical ball club. I was thinking the same thing. And that's one, yeah, that's one reason we kind of say back in the day, because I think of 2014, you won the championship, but that wasn't a UConn team to me. You know, that team didn't have Rudy Gay and Hashim to beat. And you know what I mean? Like, I remember the UConn from like the 20, the, I'm not saying you guys weren't a really good team because you obviously won the championship. They were athletic um, team. I think they were a different team from, from what we've had. Sure. They just weren't a UConn team, I think of. Yeah. They didn't have that big physical presence that, that right. in the past. And, and no Emeka, no Josh Boone. Yeah. This, this kid is defensively a 
a monster. And, you know, he can defend a little bit away from the rim. He's, he's tough to deal with inside. And he's just a mature kid. He gets it. Um, he, he's not a deep thinker, which I think is a good thing because – Know what you do. Very yeah. simpler. Simple, you know yeah. what I mean? And I think there's something to be said for athletes that are like that. It's just sort of like, okay, well, you know, I, I catch ball, I shoot ball, I block ball. I, <laughs> I love a guy that knows what he does. That was Tyreek Jones for us. Number three rebounder in the country. He's not going to shoot threes. He's not going to be cute, but he's going to get in there. He's going to fucking dunk it in your face. And he knows yeah. what he does. He's not going to take dumb shots. I love that. Well, it's that or I'm just going to have a quick first step and finish the ball. Yeah. You know, right. I'm going to be, t- be tougher than you, and I'm going to rebound. And that's pr- – yeah. I, 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 you said it perfectly. I catch ball, I, I shoot ball, I dunk ball. I'm going to be shocked at, at how far along he is. And, I, you know, he was a guy that was starting to creep up recruiting rankings a little bit. You stole him like, from Seton Hall, correct? Huh? You stole him from yeah, Seton Hall? Was, yeah, yeah. He was a guy that was supposedly going to Seton Hall that we stole. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's, what's funny? What's, what's funny is I was at the – used to that. I was at the, I was at the Hoop Hall Classic this year and the AIC Prep Showcase. And I was there. Tom Moore was there from UConn, the assistant coach. He does a lot of recruiting. And I was standing next to him watching fucking Sonogo eat people That's cool. alive. And, and – he said, Jesus fucking Christ, probably. <laughs> I don't know how consistently on them they were, like, you know, whether he was on there, like, whether they were on him early or not. I really don't know that, that piece of it. But, like, he is a monster in person. I mean, he really is. And so what was funny is, obviously, we were all over Cliff Omayori there, who ended up at Rutgers. And um, the two of them, I guess, played each other in New Jersey. I watched, I watched the film in the game. And um, Sonogo ate him alive. Um, yeah. But I remember seeing the two of them at, at Hoopal. And I actually got a little worried that we were so on Amayuri and not on Sonogo. Like, really? I was, you know, Cliff is, is way high up those rankings. And, I mean, you know, he looks the part, like, flashy dunks. But, like, he couldn't do anything more than five feet away from the rim. Like, yeah. I, I've just seen him 16,000 times in other recruits. And, meanwhile, Sonogo is – physical, making quick first steps. I mean, he's doing everything. <laughs> he's his, just his presence on the court. And I think that's what Hurley's done a good job of early on is finding guys that they change the game even when they're not necessarily don't have the ball in their hands. Right. Like, and it's like, great to have the one of those guys. Like if he's yeah. healthy this year, he just changes games by being on the court. And Sonogo is one of those guys. And I have this sadistic wet dream of the two of them up front just eating boards and but when it, you know, having those but having those guys changes everything not just defensively but your margin for error increases because yeah, absolutely know, or have, what we haven't had the last couple of years is a margin for error when you have a shooter or two that has a cold night we're fucked we don't have option a b c d and e now we do and now we have guys that can bail guys out when they're not having a good night so maybe they can figure it out and 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 put in a serviceable performance so um, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be an interesting year for us, but Sonogo's yeah. the guy, I mean, Jackson's flashy uh, and I for think sure. he, his, his upside is obviously through the roof, but I think the guy that's going to make the biggest difference on the team in a way that we need worse than anything right now is going to be Sonogo. And like you were pretty much saying, it's nice to have the guy, you know, with the flashy hoop mixtape, yada, yada, yada. But you can't – I mean, we both had guys on a program that, you know, don't really dunk, don't really do anything flashy, but they win you games and they do the little things. Uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of call your shot here. What are you expecting UConn to do in the Big East this year? Where are you expecting them to place? 
Uh, what did I fucking wrote this down? I'm like an old man. I actually prepared here. <laughs> it's all, it's all <laughs> What's good. that like? You can, you can uh, even talk about, like, for example, we were talking about this yesterday. I think it's Villanova in a tier by themselves. I think that Creighton is behind them in a tier by themselves. And then I think it's the bunched up three through seven or eight or so. Um, and it's kind of hard for me to decipher a lot of those teams. Um, where do you think UConn falls in the, you know, maybe you think they're better than Creighton. I don't know. But yeah, I think well, I've, I, I've got going. So here's, here's my, here's my guy. I've got Villanova one, Creighton two, UConn three, Providence four, Seton Hall five, Marquette six, Butler seven, Xavier eight, St. John's nine, Georgetown 10, and Paul 11. Um, I, Georgetown and DePaul, I can't fucking. That's they're yeah, in a tier way tier after, down yeah. in the dark. I mean, there's 50 feet of shit, and then there's the yeah. <laughs> I think St. John's is in a tier by themselves at nine, and then I think there's a tier I, below them, and then those two. Maybe, you know, I'm gonna tell you this they, they've got a kid coming in who I think is maybe the most underappreciated incoming freshman player. And that's Posh Alexander. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same he, kid. I've yeah. seen him a bunch. I loved Posh Alexander every time I saw him. Um, I don't know. I, I think he's going to overtake Don Point Guard. Um, he's very small, but he's explosive. He's super fast. Yeah. Uh, and he's very – I mean, for a kid that's only 5'11", like, he's st- a strong kid. Um like I said, I think of all the, the, the big incoming players in, in, in the conference, he's a guy everybody's sleeping in on, and mm-hmm. I think he's, he's going to be fine. Their problem is they just can't fucking shoot the ball. Right. Um, the bad shot selection, um, you know, this year I think they'll be better, but they just they have a, a lot of ways to go. Like Anderson likes to run that spread offense in half court, and if there aren't shooters there, it's, it's kind of hard to run that offense. And I just don't think that he's – he's got the bullets to do that. I mean, I know they're hoping that Cole's going to step in. I mean, he was, he was a Juke all American last year and, and should help. But I just don't think that it's going to be enough. I love it. Is it champagne? Uh, champagne? What is it? That's what I've been calling him. Champagne. I don't know how to pronounce it. I just say champagne because it's easier. Yeah. That's champagne. champagne. Um, but he's a jack of all trades. And I mean, I think he's going to be a good piece for them heading forward. He's definitely a building block. Like, um, and I think physically, they'll be really good. I mean, I, I was going to be on, I'm honest with you. Like, I was a little surprised that Arkansas pulled the plug on Anderson as quickly as they did. I, and I always thought he's a good coach. Yeah, that was weird. What's up? I've always thought that Mike Anderson's a really good coach. I think he's a really good coach. And I think, um, I think their front court in general is a little underrated. Like, they're physical. They're going to press a ton. They'll be in good shape. Like, they've got a little depth there. Um Ellington and Robert uh, Roberts are good rebounders and Toro and Moore, they're going to push for a little playing time. Like they, they're, they're going to be physical. I mean, they're going to yeah. be some teams up down low. And, and I just, again, it's just going to come back to scoring the ball. I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to do it enough. Um, no, really I don't think, but I think but, Anderson, sorry. I think Anderson's going to get them going. I don't think this is their year. I think they're going to be yeah, a tier no. below the, the third tier, but I think Anderson's definitely a huge upgrade from Chris Mullen, who was a fucking joke. You talk about, you talk about having no one behind the wheel. They had no one behind the wheel uh, with Chris Mullen. God. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, I think they got to figure it out. I mean, I, I, they just don't have the weapons this year, but they've got pieces. I mean, I got pieces For and sure. I think they are physical enough and they play intense enough defense that I think um, they're going to give, I, I think they're going to be more competitive than teams think. I don't think they're getting run off the court a lot this year, unless of course they can't throw, hit the floor if they throw a brick at it. But, 
Um, and they typically know, I, haven't I, been getting run off the court, uh, at least like um, in in our experience. It's just um, like they're just like four points worse than you. You know what I mean? They're not like much worse. They're just like just a little bit worse. <laughs> but not – well, we've beat them 11 times in a row. But that's I think they're the beating point. them out worse, but I don't think – I think they're a team that will put a, a little bit of a scare in the teams. Oh, for sure. Um, this year. I think – was... And another kind of dark horsey team I've got, and I'm going to take some shit for this one, but I like Butler. <laughs> oh. the, more, the more the more I watch – the more tape I've watched of them – I watched some tape of them today. That team's going to win some games they have no business winning. This year. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't think of one player on their roster. Yeah, I can't either. They don't have names, but I, I hear what you're saying. They, they play always, ball. They, have they don't have a go-to guy, and that's the difference, right? They, they're not, that's they're what's going to obviously ball, hold them back. But, like, they're going to compete, man. Like, they, they, they turn games into fucking mudslinging contests. Like, I know. I love Bryce. Is it Izzy? Yeah, Izzy. Bryce Enzi. Yeah. Bryce Enzi and Bryce I hate Butler so Bryce much. Goldberg. Are but, junkyard guy dog kind of guys like they take shots, they rebound at both ends of the floor. <laughs> they're gonna hate Butler, like, <laughs> but it's like having two Isaiah Whaley's on the team, man. Like they they don't have neither guy is a go to <laughs> score, but like they're real workhorses. And I just like Jordan a lot as an offensive coach. Like to me, last year he proved a lot. his homework. You did your homework, balls. Goddamn. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, he. I'm not fucking. Completely an idiot. I just uh, <laughs> just act like one on the internet. Twitter. Right. I've been scratching at the window of the Oval Office for years. Like, <laughs> you guys have been playing, but like I don't, I don't, I don't hate the backcourt. Like Bolden's a good long range shooter, and he really compliments the "Don't throw up all over myself." Like caretaker, super defender with the ball. Like uh, you know, if Bo Hodges gets a waiver, I'm pretty bullish on them to do some damage. And like I said, I just really like Jordan as a coach because. He proved a lot to me last year. I mean, that's always been sort of – he's always been sort of a running gunny kind of guy. Um, he totally changed his offense last year to fit his team. Changed the whole thing up. Gutted the whole fucking thing to fit his roster. And they were boring and they sloppy yeah. and shit in the half court. And it worked, you know. Yeah. Um, We've seen that. Yeah, you're going to hate fucking Butler, dude. They're the most AAC fan base in the Big East, hands down. If there was one, <laughs> if there was one culture that would fit in the AAC, it would be Butler. Um, and you're just going to hate the way they play because they just slog you out, just drag out. I mean, they play in a, they the play in a goddamn barn. Most with them, positionally, they're a great defensive team. Like, oh, they don't yeah. block you. Um, they're not fancy, right? But yeah. you, you like last year, they were number one in the country in field goal percentage allowed on, on jumpers. Really? Two-point field goal. Number one in the country. Now, yeah, They played I mean, two I'm games against us. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's a good point. You guys could hit the floor if you threw a brick at it. But, <laughs> it was so but, bad. But the, this team plays really good defense. It's hard to figure out a focal point with them. You know, like I think yeah. you sort of have to have out athletic them. Um, but I'm really bullish on them. I, I, I think they, they're my dark horse pick to maybe sneak up into a top five, four spot. I, okay. I, I think they're a, 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 a creepy team, but they're, they're, they're right there. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely creepy. I can see that though. I don't know what the fuck to expect out of Providence and Seton Hall, to be honest with you. No fucking idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the team. Uh, okay. So we're, we're definitely, well, we haven't gotten, we'll get to you guys in a little bit. Um, we'll get into the log jam. Cause I think the real log jam is, is Marquette, Seton Hall, Providence, UConn. Right. I think those four teams are kind of, something to like there's something to not really like there's there's something about all of them 
Um, Marquette's the team I'm selling. Um, Mike Wojo's a fucking excellent recruiter. He really knows how to coach guys offensively. That team, this it's just indescribable how much talent this guy's had that's just consistently underperformed. Like He's they're going to score, so and but defensively they're just even when they're good. I mean they were what sixty seventh overall in the country last year. It fucking didn't feel like it. Like it, I mean defensively they've always just lagged behind and like. Again, I get back to it with college coaches. Like, they have this habit of revealing themselves in two years. And, like, at a point, you know, like, if it walks like a duck, it talks like a duck. It's a fucking duck. And I don't think Wojo can, is a good defensive no. And, I mean, but the thing with him is, like, he's definitely a prospect hugger kind of recruiter. Like in baseball, you call him one tool fools where he gets these guys that like throw fucking 99, but to the backstop because he thinks he can develop them. And yeah, they'll develop swings and misses, but because they don't know how to pitch, they don't know how to fill up. Mm-hmm. The zone, right. Throwers, not pitchers. They're just never good pitchers. Right. Do a lot potential. Yeah. Even when they're helping you, they're hurting you. Like even, I mean, Howard's going to be impossible to, to replace offensively, but he was a liability defensively. Like, Offensively, he was good. Defensively, he was horrible. Like he was trade buckets with him, yeah. You know, and and that's and and what I hate about them the most this year is this conference. Almost everybody is a good defensive team. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody can d you up, and teams like that drown in conferences like this. And um, I think they're going to let teams back into games. I think cold nights are going to knock them off kilter. And I think Wojo's under some pressure now. I, I, I think if this has got – this has all the signs of a team that if it, if it starts to go bad, it's going to go fucking bad. And it's going to go right off the rails. And I think he, he could be in the hot seat pretty quick here. Um, I totally expect their offense to be top 50. Like Carlton's a fucking yep. – he shoots well. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's a freak athlete. Like – you can create a lot off the dribble and like, and it's just like, what's his face of Providence? Like every good team needs a guy, a prank guy that can create off the dribble. And so they, they've got that. And, and I like Colby McEwen on some levels, but like, he's so fucking inefficient. I mean, he shot 29% from three last year, some shit like that. Like the expected field goal percent, is like 41.2%. Like that's scary bad. Like their, their team efficiency takes a hit when he's on the court and they've just got to fucking pump shots at volume. Like, their backcourt depth is going to be a question mark. Like, Elliot can shoot a little bit. Torrance is talented, but he hasn't done a ton yet. Like, who knows what Connor gives him. Like, Kane's a versatile guy. I mean, I think he's going to be a little bit of a key, and so is Theo John. But, like, he's, he's, the, not fucking he's the big East JaVale McGee. He's such an idiot. He's a hack, dude. And, and he so, will, he, like, he can rebound and work like, shots. But, like, he'll he can't foul out and go 0 of 7 from the field. And he can't stay on the court. Like, no, you know, he's and, such an idiot. And I think Dawson Garcia is going to be a guy that waltzes in there and, and Wojo will give him no fucking burn. And all of a sudden he's going to show up to the fucking arena one day and he, he's going to be in the starting lineup for the rest of the year. As I, they the water. I, I so just have no, I, this team scares the fuck out of me. I, I just look at this team and I'm like, they are every, and, and it's a personal, it's totally a personal preference thing. This is totally not the way I build a basketball team and especially a team. And I just, not only would I, wouldn't I do it, I just think this is a team in this particular conference, the way it's constituted this year and how the other teams are. Uh, they're the team that I think has got the potential to like go into a death spiral in February yep. and, 
10 p.m. It, it, it's happened the last like two or three years in a row where they're right there with Nova in the very beginning because they're crazy talented and then they lose five of the last six and then they just do nothing and then they lose in the first round tournament there's to fucking book. Murray State. I mean, there, there's a book on them. I mean, there's, you know, and, yep. and Bo just has, has been a guy that has just, he, he yep. can't, he can never fix the leaks. No. It pains me that um, Wojo is the only coach that uh, Travis Steele hasn't beaten yet. And it's fucking annoying because they win these fucking bullshit games in January, and it's like save the wins for the teams that are actually going to do something in fucking March because you're just going to fucking spiral out. You're just going to steal these wins from us when it, like, it, for no fucking reason. Then you're going to be a piece of shit when it actually fucking counts and lose by 30 in the first round of the NCAA tournament. It's fucking stupid. Get out of the way. <laughs> fucking hate Marquette too they're they're like number three I think I hate Georgetown the most just because they're fucking useless uh Butler number two and then probably fucking uh those bitches I don't, I don't hate Marquette I just think I just think that team I could be wrong just a waste of, just a waste of space it's just that, that that's a team that that scares the shit out of me in terms of like yeah I was looking at that roster that that's one that that has ticking time bomb written, written. oh yeah it could go yeah. the other way like there's a possibility there's the talent, talent. but I just have no there's just nothing about anything they've done in the last five years makes me think that's <laughs> that's that's what's no. going to happen. <laughs> no. uh, and maybe it's just me being fatalistic after all these years of watching Kevin Ollie. But you can't you can't look at the last five years Marquette's had and be like, oh, of course, yeah, Marquette's going to be a top three Big East team and you know go on a run. No, they have no reason. There's no indication of thinking that at all. Jeez. I won't write their name on an NCAA tournament bracket. No, like, and Ever. feel feel confident in it. No. Ever. Never. Well, I was never confident. I've never been confident in Korean or any of them when they were. It's Marquette. It's what they do. Yeah. Um, Seton Hall, um, another dark horse for me. I, I think they're the biggest high-risk, high-reward team on here. Um, they got to stay healthy. Like, I don't have a lot of depth at all. Mamu is a fucking savage. Yep. He's got to stay healthy. Bryce Aiken is a fucking savage. He's got to stay healthy. Like, I, I, you could say that on any one of, like, 16 different guys. Um. They're a great defensive team. I think they might be better this year defensively than they were last year. Like they take they, just the way they play. Like they take force teams to take bad shots and do a good job at denying like the three ball at the rim and everything. And um, you know what are they like third overall in the conference or twenty fifth nationally or something like that? Like they can defend. Um, I think they've just got to stay healthy. I mean, I just don't know who's going. They got tons of size up front. But it's it's raw once you get past Mamu. Um, Obiago's interesting, but like he's a total yeah. machine. Yep. Um, Aiken, I don't think he's that good. He's overrated. Huh? I think he's overrated. I think he's just you know a, a former really good, really good prospect. I don't think he's that good. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I don't know. It's 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 it, it's uh, yeah. I just keep coming back to it over and over and over again. I just think I stay healthy. Um, and Miles Powell just saved that team whenever they needed him to last year. He was their Superman. You know, I'm not saying they didn't have other pieces, but he was when – they, when they needed big buckets, it was let's give it to Miles Powell, get the fuck out of the way. I mean, all those big games they won against Kentucky and Michigan State, no chance without Miles Powell, none, zero chance. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, uh, who's that, that kid they got from Canisius? Oh, I know who you're talking about. I, yeah. I'll, I'll know his uh, Molson. Molson. That's what it is. Yeah. I was thinking beer in my head. I was like, who's the kid with the beer name? Yeah. Um, or I think <laughs> the volume score too. Like, I mean, granted, he's not going to have to be the guy at Seton Hall, but inefficient guys not, aren't necessarily sharpshooters. Sure. Um, you know, so I don't know, but he's got the potential to turn some turn some heads. I mean, he's been first team all conference 
two or three years now or something like that in the back. Like he could be an interesting guy, but I just think health is there. I think they take a slight step back from next year. I think if everybody's healthy and Aiken's the real deal, Mama does what he can do. Like I think they could sneak up to a third in the rankings and they've regularly outkicked their coverage because their system's good, you know? Um, So give them some benefit of the doubt there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it just all comes down to health. There's, there's a little gamble and two or three. I mean, Aiken's never had a full college season where he's been healthy yeah. back to his freshman year, you know. And so we'll, we'll see what that looks like. Um, Providence. Um, <laughs> do, they, do they exist enough to talk about them? Yeah. The roster looks good. I mean, you look at the roster top, top to bottom, and you look at the talent they have, and the length and the athleticism, and you're like. Okay, and then the pieces go to – Cooley's a bad coach. Cooley's a good coach to me. Cooley's a solid coach. He just hasn't done it in March. And I just don't know if these pieces fit on that roster. I mean, we'll see. But it's pretty much what it was last year. I thought he did a decent job coaching last year. They moved to a lot more zone last year because this is one of the lowest basketball IQ teams on planet Earth. Like, I think they they need to be coached closely. Um, like, they've got a lot of perimeter length, you know. Like, yep. they've got a lot of per- perimeter length. Um, they pressure backcourts. They create a lot of turnovers. They limit threes. Like, they struggle a little bit with rim protection. Um, but that length that they have out in the arc, like, that that makes up for them being a little soft up the middle. Um, I love David. I mean, David Duke's really good. He's a dude. He's a beast. And, and I think people are really understand, underestimating how much of an impact Jared Bynum is going to make there. Okay. Uh, Bynum is the epitome. The St. Joe's transfer, that kid is as rock solid a college basketball player as they come. And Duke's funny because, you know, yeah, he's a point guard that creates, but like he's almost better off the ball. And Bynum's going to help take a lot of pressure off and let him do that. Um, and Nate Watson can fucking clean off the offensive glass. He's a, he's a really good player. He's, he's their bad battle again. He can, be in, he can be inconsistent, but he's a really, really good player. Yeah. I mean, and it'll be, you know, Noah Horchler, I think, will, will, will really help him a little bit. I think their problem is, is, is backcourt depth. Um, like, Bynum and Duke can play a lot, but, like, what else after that? a lot of other guards on the team, like, Bryce, Bryce Goodon changes a lot of things for them, but like he can get his waiver cleared. But kind of a weird deal with Makai Ash and Langford too. Big, big recruit, but he just has not panned out. No, he was bad. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I just don't. To me, I think they're more of a sure thing health wise. Yep. Than Seton Hall, I think they just are going to defend. I think Cooley's a better coach than Wojo. I think. He could stuff his ego up his own ass a little bit and play yeah. a, a style of game that fits his team. Um, but I do worry a little bit about their depth issues and whether they've matured enough, whether it's a smarter team yep. um, this year. And so we'll see. Um, but that lack of backcourt depth um, and genuine overall depth is why I've got them behind UConn. Um, and I just look at us this year, and I mean, there's just too many options. I mean, there's some kids that are really raw. You know, we'll see how much they re- – like Andre Jackson, I'm really trying to temper ex- expectations with. Like, he's a freak. 
he, athletically, he's a freak. He's a monster. Um, getting back to what I was saying, like, there's kids that are going to make you go wow and kids that will make you go wow. He can do yeah. that. Man. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, I think obviously, book night is the focal point of everything. But the biggest difference is the fact that we're really going to have an actual physical presence down low. Um, if Akka comes back and he's good. <laughs> um, that's a big and, question, Mark. I mean, that's a big injury to come back from. Uh, uh, he, yeah. Achilles, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a brutal, the whole brutal injury, especially for a big guy. Yeah, and I mean, he looks great. He's way ahead of schedule and everything looks good, but you know how that is. Yep. Uh, everybody's in the best shape of their life all the time. <laughs> and and uh, I'm rooting for him. I uh, hope that's the case. If it is, uh, their front court's terrifying defensively. Um, between Sunogo, Isaiah Whaley, um, a cook shot blocking. I mean, Whaley hedging ball screens. Sunogo just being able to, to mop up. And I think, you know, Richie Springs, I think, is more limited. He's going to really struggle to get minutes this year. But he, he rebounds, especially on the offensive side. So there's going to be places where he can contribute. Uh, Javante Brown-Ferguson's super raw. I don't think he's going to see the floor a whole lot. But at least adds a lot of size and length. Um, I'm going to be interested to kind of see what Carlton looks like. He's the one yeah. guy to me on this team that just doesn't fit with Hurley's style. And I think that's been what – a big part of the reason why he struggled so much. I, I think Hurley struggled coaching him. I think Carlton's struggled adapting to him. And I think they like each other. I don't think it's a relationship issue. I think it's two guys trying to figure out <laughs> what the fuck to do. Yeah. Um, it, it, so it just sort of is what it is. He's lost a ton of weight. I'm interested to see him more. Last year, they kept bringing him away from the key. I mean, it's, it's a lot of everything with Carlton. On, on one hand, there's the old like youth basketball coach and me that like, I just, he's the kid on your team. That's like seven foot two and plays like he's four foot four. My God. Just, I had one of those like, last year. Like dunk the fucking basketball. Like <laughs> you're literally two feet. You're fucking three times the size of everybody else around you. Yeah. You don't jump for shit and you're not Shaquille O'Neal athletically, but like you literally just have to reach up and put a ball in the basket. Like go up hard and do that. Nobody wants yep. to do that. Um, and so, like, he was that one guy that you just kind of fucking pulled your hair out watching all the time. But then, like, the offensive scheme didn't do him any favors. Like, I can't tell you how many times, you know, defenders would drag him away from the post and feed him the ball. And he'd get fed the ball fucking 10, 15 feet from the hoop. I'm like, he's not taking anybody off the dribble. Like, he's like, there's no first step. Like, he goes one direction up, kind of. You know, so, like, be like, like giving balls the in places like, where he could be successful, like just the, he he's like I said, he's really can really get up and down, and like I said, he hedges ball screens and 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 he can shot block, and he's just sort of this workhorse sort of guy. So like he fits into a hurt. He's a kind of he's exactly the kind of guy that flies under the radar that fits into a into a Danny Hurley system and a scheme. Carlton just fucking does. He's he's not he's super mobile. So we'll see what losing. I mean, they, they, they talked it up, him gaining 30 pounds this year. We'll see what it looks like with him down another 30 pounds and munching on salad and shit all, all offseason. But um, I'm hoping the best for him because there, there is a decent Division One college basketball player. I mean, he's a good player when he's confident and going well. So, um, you know, he'll be another interesting guy. But, I mean, obviously, I think our strength is going to be our backcourt. Um, yep. Book night's just – 
I mean, the development of book night is going to be huge for you guys. I don't think Um, there's going to be anything to talk about with him. I've seen a lot of dudes come through here and he is, when you see enough of them, like there's the guys that develop and there's the guys that you just, you feel like you can hang the phone up and forget about and you just know what you're going to get from them. And he's definitely the latter. Like he is a freak and it just has a natural intuition for the game. I, I, I hate calling it a basketball IQ because like he just gets intuitively where he needs to be, where he needs to go, like how he understands spacing on the floor, his anticipation, how he reads. He's got a great touch. He's athletic. Like he's just everything that you want a star player. Um, but I think like a point guard, RJ Cole is going to be really interesting. I mean, he's coming in, he played a heart at Howard, but he was the top Juco transfer a couple of years ago. Um, at, at just another guy, rock solid college basketball player who's a great kid, a leader in the locker room. Um, and then you have Jalen Gaffney, who I thought was our most important player last year. I mean, a lot I like Jalen Gaffney a lot. A lot of people talk about like Whaley and Booknight and all this, but like the season changed when they took all three Gilbert off the ball and gave it to Jalen Gaffney. And Gaffney's timid was timid offensively. You know, I mean, I think there was a lot of him shitting his pants when he got into the key and not really knowing the offense. It took him a little while, I think, to, to, to get up to speed. But what I like so much about him is fundamentally he's a, a, a really good basketball player. He takes care of the ball. He distributes the ball well. Like our turnover rate halved just by starting him and playing more. And that's when everything started to turn on a dime. I mean, we really didn't through the Ollie years, have dedicated point guards. I mean, Altariq Gilbert was recruited as one, but Gilbert was way better off the ball and is one of the most inefficient point guards we ever had. Great kid, phenomenal human being. But, like, that's kind of what he was as a basketball player here. We kind of um, saw the same thing with Paul Scruggs. Like, uh, he had him play point guard last year. but Not natural position, was, yeah. He was totally prone to turning the ball over. This year, we're um, hopefully having Kiki Tandy run the points so Scruggs can play off the ball. It's who starts the who starts the three for UConn? Sorry, Andy. No, you're good. Who's, who's who's the starting lineup for UConn this year? Tough one. Um, if it's me, <laughs> um, I'm starting Whaley. I'm starting Book Knight. I'm starting Sonogo. Um, Whaley at the four. I don't know. I may just flip him and Sonogo at four and uh, four. yeah. Four and four. And go kind small. of interchangeable. Yeah, kind of interchangeable, yeah. Um, you know, my, my wet dream is obviously getting a, a cook on the floor with the two of them. Um, <laughs> oh, man, that is a scary <laughs> lineup. Put him at point center, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and who gives a fuck? I mean, Whaley is one of my favorite fucking Yukon Huskies ever. We'll get That's your boy, yeah. Um, but no, uh, it's a tough call. Tyler Polly seems to be the guy that, that will probably start at that swing, kick it, and pop kind of guy. I mean, he's a shooter. Um, But, I mean, it's hard to see who's going to sneak into the lineup. Maybe they go three guards, Book Knight, Gaffney, and Cole. Who's your your point guard? You think think Gaffney's your point guard? I'm really eager to see Cole. I think they're going to give Cole because he's the older guy. They're going to give him more consistently. Interesting. I have a feeling, and I've got nothing other than just having watched him, um, I have a 
feeling Gaffney's going to be the guy that ends up with the Rock by the end of the year. I don't think he's going to wow. necessarily overtake Cole, um, but I think he's going to be the guy that I, I think he's going to be a better option given the makeup of the team and how. Yeah. Uh, that's just my intuition talking. I don't have any inside scoops. And I, I think part of the fun of this year for us is that there's a lot of shit up in the air. Like there's a lot of competitive, um, there's a lot of competition in the starting lineup. Um, and any one of a bunch of guys could actually go out there um, and, and win a starting job this year and play consistently. And you guys seem like that. I mean, you guys have some youth. That, that might be the um, that you think that might be the thing that kind of holds you guys back and like kind of makes you guys a question mark. Talent completely out the ass, um, but youth might kind of get in the way. Um, but I think, we're I think we're an interesting blend this year. And so I, I picked this third, and the reason I did that is because I just think like if Providence loses a guy, when I say Duke goes down or fucking, you know, Seton Hall, Mamu goes down and Aiken goes down or, or I don't know, go to Marquette, uh, you know. Um, I wouldn't worry about Marquette. Yeah. Like, uh, but <laughs> guys loses their guy. Like, who's the next guy? And what does the depth look like? And how does that change their rotation? And, like, obviously, you lose your fucking best player. That impacts everybody. But, like, I feel like I just look at UConn's roster and I feel like they've got a bandy. You know, Booknight goes down, let's say, you know, uh, he's scoring 26 points a game. They've got a guy who I think can come or they can piece together, you know, 18 to 20 points between two guys. And they have options that they can do. And they've got ways to sort of switch things up and go that we just haven't had options the last couple of years. It's really been what the reality of it is. And this year, we'll have to stay on. I mean, the, the, you know, again, Cook, I think coming back is, is obviously huge. But like, okay, so Paulie has a fucking bad night. Like, what are the odds of Cole, Polly, uh, Book Knight, who are probably our three primary scorers, you'd say, outside of maybe Jackson you could throw in there, incidentally. But, like, Whaley's a double-double every night. Um, like, there's just a guy after a guy. Like, everybody can contribute. And we also have, you know, that's the other thing with, with Book Knight. Like, Book Knight's going to be the guy. But, like, if he's not there, like, R.J. Cole's been the primary scorer of a college basketball team before. He's done it. You know? Um, he's done it. He's been in that role. He's, he's used to being the focal point of an offense. So he's a guy that you can kind of, you know, side shot to. Um, I do think there's going to be some rawness initially. I think I'm not putting too much into the degree of difficulty going on. Um, I act, this is a weird basketball team in that they seem to play to the talent of their opponents. Um, and the better the competition the better they are. Um, we absolutely got shit pumped at USF last year and at home versus St. Joe's. <laughs> very, very bad. Like games that we shouldn't have lost, we lost a lot of last year. And that, and I think this, the veterans on this team, more importantly, got over the hump in terms of learning how to win. You know, I talked a lot earlier about a lot of the issues with Kevin Ollie teams is you just see the same game. And there would always be that second run, like right in the middle of the second half, and they'd get down 14 and they'd quit. They were fine losing by 20 points. Yep. Okay. You know, and then much for much of the, you know, Hurley obviously changed a lot of that, but it took a year and a half to beat that out of them. 
there's been a lot of effort behind the scenes that's been put, that's been put in to like getting these guys their edge, you know, and right. th- we even saw it a little bit last year, like the edge was there, but the results weren't, and they were losing close game after close game and even slot fest. And they were losing. It wasn't just that they were losing. They were losing games in a variety of different ways. Even when they played very well, they would come up just short or some stupid shit would happen. And it's all part of the process of teaching guys how to fucking win. And I think this older crew, crew has been through a lot. And I think they get it. And I think there's enough guys coming back from last year's really good freshman class that can make an impact, complement them, and even be focal points. And then the younger guys, I think there's enough of them. You know, it's again, it's just an odds game. If you're rolling the dice, how many times does four come up, right? Or how yep, many 100%. Times two? Like if you've got, four, you know, three or four super talented young kids, somebody's going to help you. <laughs> one, 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 one of them's going to be ready. Yeah. One, one, of, one of them might run into the fire extinguisher and the other one might slip in the locker room and the other one might have drank too much the night before. But somebody <laughs> is going to give you ten, eight to ten points <laughs> or four or five rebounds that you weren't expecting. When That's you, recruiting, baby. Yep. It is. It is at the end of the day. And somebody yep. there is going to be able to do that. <laughs> the problem for UConn the last four years is that somebody, that safety net, has never been there. So when the fucking bottom fell out on the top or or the go-to score wasn't fucking putting up 25 You're tonight fucked. Or, or, or defense quite wasn't as sharp as it needed to be, it was fucking done. And so I think um, that's going to be the biggest difference for them this year. And that's why I like them at three. I'm not, like, I think there's a big gap between us and Villanova and Creighton. And, yeah, and until we me get too. there – like until we actually do it, I'm not ever going to get myself into a spot where I'd say, "Oh yeah, no, we're gonna take a bottle of balls." Next year is the year. I think <laughs> yeah. You know, I think next year, talent-wise, given who's coming in and coming back, we're gonna be scary as shit. Next. That's year. what I was thinking too. We've been yeah. saying that for quite a while now. I, I think next year we're gonna be scary as shit, but this year we're gonna take a big step forward. Uh, it's. I think the goal is get back to the tournament. I think that's pretty doable. Um, oh, more than fair. Yeah. And so I, I think that's where you've got to get it and then start just keep further developing some of these kids that, that you've got that are going to be more like, you know, four year project types. But um, that's where I, that's where I'm at. And when I just look at us compared to other people and it's not me even being a homer, I'm just yeah. I'm looking at it from uh, I'm looking at it from just a projecting the odds. Like what are the odds? Like if three or four things fucking go wrong in Providence, what happens there? What happens to Seton Hall and Marquette? I feel like we just have more of a margin for error this year than those teams do. There is entirely a scenario where our young guys come in and swallow their fucking heads in front of, and, and yeah. the other big wild card is like, how do they play in, in not in front of people? Like this sure. is really, a lot of wild cards. I should be used to that. Well, this is a, t- this is a team that, that it really struggles to create their own energy. I mean, monumental. Really? Like just getting that energy to come out. And, and play with intent right off the bat has been a thing that this upperclassmen group and to a lesser extent, some of the underclassmen have had for a long time and nobody, nobody in the stands like, okay, well, you don't have 10,000 people to make you forget that you're not very good. Like, <laughs> you have to go out and, and, and figure it out. Like, what's that going to look like? And I think that's a big, that's a big thing this year for a lot of teams that think it's going to get, 
undercut. You know, it's not something that necessarily is going to be on the stat sheet, but it's going to be kind of a wild card. But I think, yeah, there's totally a chance that we end up seventh or eighth this year. But I think um, at the end of the day, um, I just like our odds of finishing closer towards that top. But I don't – well, I say that I simultaneously – think UConn fans need to pump the fucking brakes a little bit and not run off a cliff because we may finish third, but this is a very wild cardy yeah. middle of the conference. Thing. And that's the thing is it's, it's tough because you could get third and you can get eighth and it's like two games, you know, right. like it, the, the ball bounces a different way in two or three games and you're a difference of third in the conference or ninth, eighth or, you know what I mean? It's just, it's wild. So the margin for error is very, very slim now. And it's like, uh, yeah, I think like you said, it's Nova and Creighton and then everybody else. You could get third, you could get eighth, and it's really not that big a difference, honestly. And I agree. Especially with the, um, like, the depth of the Big East, which I think the Big East is going to be a gauntlet this year. We do have some, like the, se- the seventh team, a team that is going to be playing in that first four of the, of the Big East tournament, they could very well make a run to the, to the semifinal, to the, to the championship because um, they could get hot. It's just going sure. to be beating up on each other. Um, and the, the, I think it was two years ago, we had like a six-way tie for third uh, yeah. <laughs> in the standings. Third's always a monster. It's gonna third's be, harder to get than first, I feel like. It's going to be something similar to that, maybe a few less teams. Uh, but if you're, if you're sitting at seventh, you're still not out of it. I think there's – I think there's – I mean, realistically, there's nine competitive college basketball teams. Yep. I mean, I think Absolutely. I think there's there's a talent level gap when you get to like Butler, Xavier, and St. John's right now. Um, Possibly. But I don't think they're going to stink. Um, Georgetown and DePaul are going to stink. They're going to be <laughs> yeah. awesome. But sure. really, outside of them, I mean, you know, Villanova and Creighton balance that off. There's not an easy no, not an easy out or night in the entire conference. And, and so if, if nine out of eleven are tough, that's, that's what pretty you, fucking you don't, tough. You don't have off nights in this conference. We, we don't have any. Uh, we don't have any tall saints or. And then even <laughs> as bad as to Paul and, and Georgetown are, I mean, you look at the, the American. I mean, ECU's like sub two fifty. DePaul finished the season at like one ten. You know, one eighty one. Yes. So, I mean, that's like, it's not the same thing. And you should beat them, but it's not playing ECU, you know? Like, DePaul finished like six spots away from a co-AAC champion in the net. Jesus Christ. They were like, Tulsa was like 74th. (laughs) Tulsa. How nice is it to never have to say Tulsa in your entire life? (laughs) It's literally cathartic. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, no, I, I mean, I, I mean it. it. It's that being in that conference is one of the worst things that's ever happened to me in my entire life. <laughs> that's honestly probably not even hyperbole. Honestly, it it is. It was awful, you know. And it's like he, even when you know, my my daughters are fairly fairly young, so obviously you, you start indoctrinating your kids yep. early on. And, like, it's hard to, like, talk up certain games. And then you get there and there's, like, fucking – I know. Nobody there. Because I'm <laughs> sure you're talking about, like, oh, yeah, UConn's this big deal and Gamble's crazy and, you know, all this history. And then, you know, you, you go to the freaking USF game. You know? <laughs> we got blown out by – we got blown out with Kevin Ollie last year. 
we got blown up by Cincinnati at home, and I've never been in games. Oh. I mean, that was just oh. – you could have – it could have – I could have brought a book and, like, laid down on the bleachers up in the upper deck and read, and I wouldn't even have known a basketball game was going on. It was oh, God. Just torture. Well, that – and they've also made some other stupid fucking calls at UConn. Turn the fucking lights back on, please. Like, that's that's thing. another thing. I've been going off on that for Twitter that's a thing. <laughs> for like two years. But turn the goddamn lights back on. Like that that is Vince McMahon marketing 101. Like back 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 in the 80s, like <laughs> pro wrestling, when you watched it on TV, was always like in that classic smoky arena shit, right? Just yep. the spotlight on the ring and two dudes in their underwear playing touch butt, right? And that's what it was. But McMahon, part of what made him in, in, not in addition to being a very ruthless businessman, but was like how he presented wrestling. He turned the fucking lights on and you saw everybody that was there and look at them. Aren't they having a good time? Aren't they having fun? Wow. It looks like everybody's right on top of the ring. That looks insane. Right? Like, and when you watch, I mean, you go back and you watch those UConn games from like the mid two thousands when Gamble was sold out. And it looks like, I mean, go watch the old Shabazz Napier uh, buzzer beater against Florida. Like people are right on top of the court. It's the place is nuts. And then he turned the fucking lights off and it looks like a goddamn morgue. Well, that might've been smart in the AAC. Well, they turned the, yeah, I think so. There was everything <laughs> off that like, uh, they're like, oh, well, they had to save on the electrical bill. I'm like, fuck. Oh, the yeah, yeah. There was that. Jesus. And then there was like a worry about like, oh, with LED now, we can uh, save money. And, and I'm like, fuck you. Like, there was a rumor going around for a long time that the one real reason they did it was because the, the ceiling tiles started fraying. I mean, talk yeah. about the ultimate, like, oh, fuck, where here's the, the program's falling apart. I just remember I you guys coming to the conference, and then we finally started following you guys and just seeing what you guys were talking about. I'm like, Andy, these are talking about fucking lights. <laughs> Jesus, how the mighty have fallen. God damn. Well, it the really fuck? bothers me. It really bothers me. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck are these guys talking about? <laughs> the AAC really got to these guys. <laughs> talking about goddamn lights. <laughs> they need some therapy. <laughs> the, the ceiling tiles were fraying, so they were <laughs> seen on TV. I was like, well, why don't you just fucking fix the fucking ceiling tiles? <laughs> Life comes at you fucking fast. Like, what's, what's, what's the thing that they're looking at at the end of the deal? Like, can you imagine <laughs> that budget meeting that they were sitting at where they're like, oh, and they're like, I don't know, guys. Electrical bill at Gamble this year is awfully high. <laughs> I mean, we're a public university that spends money on fucking statues of gold with huge testicles <laughs> God forbid we pay another $300 a month on our electric bill. <laughs> that's the thing that's going to do us so in. stupid. Like, <laughs> the I've ever fucking heard. Like, so not only do you not have any people there, but like now you're turning the lights off so it really looks like no people are there. Oh. There are no pe- are people there and you're there with the lights turned off. You want to go to God. And, like, Mark Londo. It's like Mark Londo even walking, thinks that's stupid. I, I have to expect to walk in the front door of Gamble with the lights off and see a fucking lava lamp there. <laughs> and you just see a hippie tapestry looking hanging from the big tron or whatever like god bless america terrible man oh, uh, oh so, so dude we really appreciate you coming on and talking with us i am not going to keep you all night so i have one last question for you oh, no. and i just want to know what the number one thing is maybe this season maybe it's going to be a moment i don't know what it's going to be that's going to hit you what are you most excited for for your first season back in the big east hmm Well, if Maybe. you're in a normal year, John right. Finney have to ride a horse with me in the gamble. <laughs> that's, that's number one. 
Easily number one. We yeah, have to sh- that was one. the assumed one. I think fans are terrified of me. I think he's terrified. Oh, no. Dude, he, you can tell he just he wants nothing to do with us, but he knows that we are a thing. Because that's one thing that's funny about Twitter is like it gives you and me platforms to be fucking idiots without our faces on there. But we have followings, and you know that Hopal's army is going to come out. You know that Cap army is going to come out, and they have to acknowledge us. You know, like you can't be in that position that fans is in and not acknowledge all of us idiots. You know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, it just comes to a point where, like, you can't, you can't avoid it forever. I mean, no. I, I, I wish that you had, like, a function so you could see how much time people actually spend on your account, or it was, like, LinkedIn where you could see who's peeping your account. I know. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I've given people in the Econ Athletic Department an aneurysm. <laughs> My direct messages, and, like, why did you do this, or why did you put that picture up? That wasn't supposed to get out. And I'm like, why the fuck did it get to me then? Like, yeah, me? how, how what, am I seeing what, it? What do you expect me to do with it? Like, I'm not an FBI agent. Like, it was out know, there, you know? What the fuck you want me to do about it? Right. It's but crazy I, what Twitter can do, man. It, 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 is, it is crazy. And it's um, – I mean, that, that would be my moment if it was normal. Um, but I've been thinking about, like, just what and, – and it's not going to happen with COVID. But what that right. – what Gamble Pavilion, that first – Yeah. Not, so I, I've had these really – silly little reoccurring fantasies that I have. <laughs> Same. Yeah. And I always try to like every night for years. I always used to try to envision like, what would the first night of the NHL back in Hartford be like, mm-hmm. like what would it look like in the arena? Like what would be the promo, like what would be like, what would, be, what would it just be like? Right. And, yeah. and I've thought about it last year. Like what is it? Cause it'll be a gamble. Um, like what, is that going to be like, you know, like, what's that going to look like? What, and I'm a big adrenaline junkie, you know, like I, I really get excited about Can't tell. I watch, I watch, I watch <laughs> no idea. Dortmund's yellow wall. And I'm like, I have to be there. Like I've got to go and stand there before I die. And what I, one of the coolest things I think in sports are like the moments be, before a really big heavyweight boxing match or, mm-hmm. or a big fight, like just, Everybody's clear out of there. The ring announcer's done. It's just the two of them. And it's just everybody ready to fucking go. And yep. that moment that I want is, is that moment where we're just watching everybody out there, all the stupid fucking flamethrowers and shit are off the court. And fucking, it's just the guys waiting to fucking tip. And that first game back. UConn versus Nova. Holy fuck. Like, yep. It's, it's not often that you get do-overs in, in life to do a thing. Yeah. And I, I, I joke with my wife. I'm like, I don't give a shit if tickets are $7,000 a pop. <laughs> fucking fry later. I'm taking a loan. I am going to be at that game no matter what. Like, if I didn't get a ticket, I would think about hurting somebody to get a ticket to get into the game. Like, I'm, I'm going to – I know a certain guy named Mark – <laughs> I would love to hear the list of things you would yeah, do to get a UConn can't ticket. a plane ticket to get out here. To fucking... <laughs> <laughs> but, like, Maybe but, a Greyhound bus. But the reality is, is that that's that's the moment that that I'm most looking forward to and and most excited about. And um, this whole thing has just been a whole bizarre journey, you know, with with my stupid ass Twitter account and, and everything <laughs> what it's being. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's just fun to be a part of the nonsense. 
I'm enjoying it's, it while I can. It's a blast. I think Twitter makes it so much more fun. If people um, really knew who I was and like what I really do, they'd be appalled. <laughs> <laughs> that's right? that's the funny part about it. Is it's like it could be anybody guy, behind that account. I know. You wonder like what the fuck does this get? Because it could be anybody. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people will meet me and they'll be like, "What the fuck? Like you're nothing like I would have expected." Um, that shit's funny, man. It's funny to see the, the people behind the burner and I, I bet it, I'd be a, a Paul do and I, it makes me fucking laugh. It, it, was, um, it was weird. So uh, this is my last hot ball story, ego centrism story here, but I ended up going to the, um, the Husky, UConn Husky ticket project. Shout out to them, by the way, they do uh, some great stuff there and they did a fundraiser before the, the Memphis game and invited me to come down and act like a fucking moron. And, and <laughs> that's when I knew shit really got weird. And it yeah. wasn't just at the event, um, but it was like walking to the arena with the fucking mask on. And there's people like ripping by doing burnouts in front of me, screaming hot balls out of the car. And like people are like texting me. I'm like, I'm like in line to get into the game. There's people with fucking hot ball signs. And then of course, there's no like reasonable security is going to let a human being into a public event yeah. with a mask on, right? <laughs> so... So, so the fucking person is just tired of everybody's bullshit at the security checkpoint. He's like, all right, all right, you can go in. And I'm walking in and this guy with a radio like comes walking up. He's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. And like takes me aside and he know, he goes, you know, you're, you're not supposed to wear a mask. And I was like, right. Okay. Well, let me just go find a bathroom right and I'll change it. (laughs) And and I'll change out of it and figure my shit out. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, just, just, I got, I got to take a picture of you. So we know who you are. And um, I'm like, okay. So he like takes out his phone and I fucking lift my mask off and he takes a picture. He goes, I, I'd take the mask off myself, but he goes, I don't want to get burned. <laughs> you know, I'm all certified. He goes, have fun. And like, like the fucking guy just lets me go in and fucking literally walks in the next ticket window. He's like, he's good with the mask. He's fine. Let him in. And so I go in there. I had people taking pictures of me the entire night. The whole thing was a fucking atrocity but that's that's when you know you're 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 making some some weird ass waves out there so that's great i I fucking love it everybody uh getting in on the joke with me yeah it's it's fun (laughs) and like we know we know we truly know that it spreads like (laughs) you can make one stupid ass joke and people just run with it yep and that's the one thing that's beauty the beauty of social media especially now that we have fan bases that are kind of intermingling and just bullshit that's what makes it fun man like sports is sports is sports it's fucking entertainment like i don't want to fucking read rothstein's like just basic robotic bullshit like like i love what you guys do man and it's funny because like i hate how pretentious fucking escalators is but he's fucking hilarious you know what i mean like it's so fucking like i want to hate him but he's so goddamn funny it's impossible too. and it's just great because like i just love people that don't take life too seriously you know what i mean that's what's great about hot balls and great about all you guys is you guys are just fucking around having fun it's fucking sports you know let's have fucking fun with it you know like we don't need to you know the world's shitty you know what i mean just have fun with it and make a fucking joke about it and i don't know who gives a shit so it's just a blast getting on the jokes and having fucking fanta ride a goddamn horse into fucking game you know what i mean like ac sweatshirts you know i'm just here to have a good fucking time you know and that's what i love about you guys it's just good fucking times yeah it's just it's just, just so weird you know it's just all the random <laughs> I know. Like you're sitting there like i'm sitting there i'm getting direct messages from fucking players i'm getting direct messages <laughs> from like athletic dude i've had some of the craziest weirdest shit in my, <laughs> my dms are a disaster 
I feel like I've I'm seen like, like I feel like I've seen players that legit tweeted like I hate hot balls. <laughs> well, oh, there's people on, on fucking. I mean, there was an entire thread. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was really fucking bad. Because I get a lot of recruiting scoops. I know the recruiting community really. Yeah. Well. So like, mm-hmm. and and a lot of this gets like in the media it gets treated like shock knowledge, and the most fans it is. But like behind the scenes, everybody's got like a crystal clear idea, like who's in the lead for so-and-so and like where they're sure. going. And right. Yes. Some recruitments take L turns and they get weird, but like most of them are pretty direct and you know who the leaders are early on. And it just isn't nearly as exciting as it is. So like, I know this stuff. And so <laughs> I'm like, go get it out there. I gotta go. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say who, uh, cause I'll get in trouble, but I did have a player one time. He's like, Hey, you got to certify this shit for me. He goes, I'm making my announcement. He goes, That's no, great. And um, so it's it's just funny. It's funny that everybody's kind of in on the fucking on the pop all certified, baby. I fucking love it. Uh, all right, we will let you go here. But before we do, do you want to make a uh, a presidential plea, a little a little presidential campaign before you uh, before you before you leave us? No, nobody's running against me. Why would anybody run against me? <laughs> who's who's your VP? Have you have you announced a VP yet? Not really. I mean, I mean there's a lot. Do of you even, do you ready. need one? Huh? I don't think oh. I need one. You know? I, don't, I don't either. <laughs> like, if I died, you could just prop me up like Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> and I still think the people would be happy. And I still think I'd probably make better decisions dead than most people alive. I, I like to think that's probably the case. It is the case. It is. Hey, we will have to circle this back in, uh, for the pregame, the Xavier UConn pregame this year. Sounds good. We'll have to do it. I appreciate you coming on here and talking shit, man. It was honestly really cool getting a a, uh, a UConn look at uh, a UConn perspective on everything. No problem, gentlemen. Keep in touch with yourselves. <laughs> it was a blast, man. <laughs> we'll see you on Twitter, man. Keep uh, keep shit posted. Adios. You're the man. Wow, that was that was incredible. So I, I was a little impressed about how much. Mr. Hotball's like newest stuff about teams that he really hasn't been around in the past seven years. So, and he really knows, not only does he know the game of basketball, he did his homework on the programs that he hasn't seen since they were stuck playing ECU in South Florida. So as you can tell, I think the whole UConn fan base is just blessed to not have to deal with all of them anymore. Not have to deal with a conference full of Mark Londos. Um, but after that, so I'm going to finish off. We got a birthday today. So today is the 28th birthday of Captain Xavier himself, my co-host, who is actually celebrating right now. So I'm, I'm solo tonight, tonight, outside of the interview. Um, but after hearing this, Wish our guy happy birthday because he does so much for Big East Twitter, Xavier Twitter. He gave us a TBT team out of thin air. Um, he's really unified Xavier Twitter and introduced us to the rest of Big East Twitter. So I, without him and his jackass, um, jackass self, we don't know where we'd be and how much fun we'd be having. So... It's this day in this episode, this ending is all about my boy, Capex15. Happy birthday, buddy. So yeah, now that we, 
got all that out. That that pretty much that's pretty much all we got for you. So I hope you enjoyed Mr. Hotballs. I hope you enjoyed the um, UC Xavier Twitter bullshit, um, Twitter back and forth because we had a circus. Um, we'll get more into that next week. Go ahead, go ahead and um, listen to the Broken Anchor podcast on Monday. Um, follow the Broken Anchor YouTube page so you can catch the winter forecast and the female brain. And zip them the fuck up. We'll see y'all next week. Love you guys.